People at the Texas really have the most fun. <laughs> Except for Griffin. That guy sucks. <laughs> Griffin, you better listen to this episode, bud. He's so mad. He was so mad I didn't make it to the screening. Which scream screening? two. The scream two one. Dude, yeah. he wasn't even fucking there anyways. Like the fuck? He texted me. It wasn't was like, even for him. It was for Travis and our, like he everyone just texted else. He goes, like, Papas. No. I'm like, what? He's like, in all caps, please, you better be coming to this screening. And I was like, I can't, dude. I'm not I'm not free. I don't have the Yeah. I'm not in town. Yeah. Otherwise I would have like put a together a whole different bit with massive uh, like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's like, fine. Griffin loves to trash talk me. It's like his relationship with me. So he likes to hot and cold me, but I don't fall for it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're too grown for those kind of games. I'm a married man. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's caught on yet. It's been a while since I've seen him in person, but he just he'll get there. Yeah, I'm not maybe. worried about it. Maybe Who I know. I, lo- I mean, poor Ashton and um, Barack. I- sure. Everyone I when I worked at OCFF like way back, not yeah. even that long ago. But they, it was like, just last summer. It was two. It was two summers ago. It was pre-COVID. Oh. I did it pre-COVID because we didn't do we didn't do one that COVID, and then we did like a hybrid 2021, and then I didn't do 2022 because I was out. I was in a, Seattle for a wedding. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And I may not, I may be in LA for the next one. I'm so sorry. Aww. I know. Okay. I was fine. just gaining traction too. I was like so stoked to be in with the cool kids of the Texas. And then and now you hey, snatch yourself out. I'm a loser. No. We'll see. If I can convince Bianca to let us co-host the release of a new horror movie up there, Ooh. that'll be the... Uh, that is my dream. I was, think I told both of you, I was like, man, that is my dream is just to go out on a high as like co, co- like host a co-host a screening one night and be like i've officially peaked i don't need to come back yeah we will we'll make that happen we (laughs) just need a yeah we need a real good one to um i bring it home for sure i pitched you that brazilian car movie right did you ever watch that no you you told me about this before i love that movie i'm like more people should see this how do i get that movie to screen yeah exactly what's the process how is is it possible yeah i could i bet i could i think the screenwriter liked to tweet about it that i wrote (laughs) There's a million you ways to get in touch with these in, people. You're yeah. in now. He liked your tweet. He liked my tweet. <laughs> yeah. If I pay $8, that tweet is going to be worth roughly $8. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I got, there was a tweet that showed up on my phone directly from Elon Musk. It was like, me and my mom at Halloween. I immediately deleted the app from my phone. I was like, no, no, no. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't need this. I've had no, enough. no, thank you. No, thank I never, you. Yeah, I never used Twitter that much in the first place, so it didn't really, it wasn't, it's not a big Yeah, I haven't, I... I've only used Twitter maybe like once a year for like the past seven years, and then I just like forget that you it's have seven there. tweets out there yeah. in the world. Yeah, it's just they're out there. That was my yeah. thing though too, because I have a very old Twitter account. It like predates my kind of like the mine main is 2010. That's yeah. when I got it. Mine's like 2010 or something, and like it's been up there for fucking 12 years. But I've, yeah. I have like a total of like 10 tweets. Oh, That's, I nuked mine. There, oh, yeah. I went through some rough patches where I was <laughs> tweeting too much stuff. Like I was like having a rough time in my life and was just like mad. Yeah. And then found Should've send these this thoughts out into the world. Yeah. And, and then got like the found something to be yeah. mad about. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not actually mad about this movie being whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm actually mad about like I don't know things in my life <laughs> not going life. well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is that's probably like 90 percent of Twitter users. They're like really upset about stuff. The dog pile is really ugly on there. Yeah. 
Um, that's not a good place. So I will, yeah, I don't know if I'll use it that much. They use, I use it for like writers, a lot of writers on Twitter. That's true. Um, It's an easy way to access like famous people. Yeah. Um, and if you're like, especially niche famous people. Um, so I'll follow like a lot of like TV writers and stuff and they're always like pitch. They're talking about like what they do for a living and all that. And I'm like, can we be friends? Can I get a job? Can I be like your personal assistant? Can See, I be your someone's footstool? probably looking like, at you being like, man, I can't wait. Dude. I can't wait till they notice me. I notice me. I <laughs> witness know, me. I love, I love the admiration there that's there, but I'm like, I am not the top of the pyramid guys. I'm the very, very bottom. We're all on the same floor here. There is no <laughs> need. Oh, There's wow, no feel, hero worship to be here. placed there. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, Travis has been one of my best editors. Uh, I do like editing documents. Yeah, Bianca, you've fun. been a great editor too. Hey, I love it. I got my hype team right here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, hey guys, I'm Travis. I'm Daniel. Hanging out with Bianca. Hell yeah! It's, right. on, uh, it's a Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take a deep dive into a specific film and try to find connections between that film and other f- movies within the genre. Uh, and it's a brand new series. It's awesome. New, new series, who dis? Uh, in this run <laughs> of episodes, we're getting crazy with uh, psychological horror and thrillers. And this week, we are plunging fully into the insanity of a bonkers 90s film by the one and only John Carpenter. What do we watch? In, in the, the Mouth, mouth of, of Madness. madness. You absolutely mad. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demands of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Isn't the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. Whoa, that was well, amazing. Well done. Oh, my god! No one could see, but we, like, didn't make eye contact until the <laughs> yeah, last possible like, second. I'm looking into the abyss in the mouth of madness. Oh, yeah. Is this that time of the year? We're going to get some sun here in a second. Yeah, Sorry. Let me know sure. if it gets annoying. I got sunglasses for you. Oh, uh, hey. Hey. <laughs> 1994, In the Mouth of Madness, written by Michael DeLuca and directed by John Carpenter, starring Sam Neill as John Trent, Julie Carmen as Linda Stiles, uh, Jurgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane, David Warner as Dr. Wren, and John Glover. Uh, Saperstein, 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 yeah, Stein, got Saperstein, Saperstein, with cameos by Bernie Casey, Peter Jason, and of course Charlton Heston. And uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, Hayden Christensen, yeah, his first debut role debut as a role. bicycler, yeah, assist, bicyclist, well, paper boy, brain, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a little nugget there just, at the end. Just a little baby yeah. just coming up. You know, a wee lad. He hadn't turned to the dark side quite yeah, yet. Yeah, no, not yet. No. Not yet. Uh, Sam Neill plays John Trent, a keen insurance adjuster who is an expert at detecting a con. He is assigned by a publishing company to track down the most famous contemporary author in the universe of this movie, Sutter Kane, uh, who has disappeared in advance of the release of his newest book. Trent and the publishing company's editor set out to find Kane and uncover a mind-bending mystery that appears to be a harbinger of the apocalypse. This was was this your first time watching this movie? Yes, it was nice. my first time. Nice. Yeah. Had you seen it before? Yes, I had seen it before. So this was my second time watching it, and damn, loved it just as much. It as holds the up, first doesn't it, one. man? It's so fucking good, dude. Yeah. Something about it. I'm like Carpenter really is the goat. Like, I he might just be up. Th- he might be the number one for me. Yeah, I feel like, like I watch his movies, and I'm still like shocked and terrified. I feel like I haven't given him that many props, like. I really enjoy the original Halloween. Like, yeah. I really do. And 
I just watched The Thing, not that we're talking about The Thing today, but I just watched it for the first time last week. Wow. And was wow. Fu- yeah, it was fucking amazing. Yeah. I feel like you're definitely... You can see why it's like in the Hall of Fame. You're yeah, like, it's oh, top tier shit. Yeah, this so is like one tier. of the greatest. So, yeah. Bianca, if you didn't listen to her episode, the last one that she was on, Bianca is a, is a huge uh, proprietor, worker, awesome poet, amazing person of the Texas Theater down here in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, she's one of the, the best people that you can know if you like uh, cinema and particularly Wes Craven. I feel like you're a big Wes Craven oh, person. Yeah. So I think that he, it feels like he in the in the canon of uh, you know classic horror directors, he seems like he's more of your homie yes. uh, than you're, you're more of a Cravenite than a Carpenterian. What is yeah, that like, yeah, boomers yeah. to millennials or Gen X essentially? Like same, is that a generation? It's the of same filmmakers? generation of movies. Okay. So yeah. it's like it's yeah. just it's I guess it's the thing that like. Carpenter became so disillusioned with like the studio system and then he kind of you know in the last two decades has turned away from making movies and now he's like I'm just gonna hang out and make music and play fucking video games like oh, yeah that's his whole that's his whole I thing want that life yeah seriously I mean I kind of do that now when I'm not when I don't have a gig <laughs> not working when I'm on fun employing yeah it seems like a sweet life yeah just like let me make one song or like one video and I'm good now yeah like, that's it but that being said I think this is a uh, you, you talked about watching the thing uh, for the first time and I think it's interesting that uh, I was talking to you before about this before we started recording that this is the first legit carpenter episode that we've done uh, I was looking back through our list of episodes yeah. and it, it occurred to me I was like oh man I haven't and I think not for okay so like in all like full transparency i think i've been like intimidated to do carpenter uh this is not by design but i think i've been holding off on doing some of the um some of my favorite favorite horror movies that i that i've definitely been touching upon in the last month over halloween and stuff again because i want to give them the justice that they deserved and i kind of wanted to be better at this podcasting thing before i uh attempted them yeah yeah um but I feel like this is a good inroad into Carpenter because it's maybe not one of his. I don't know of of the canon of Carpenter. This maybe not isn't isn't at the top. It's not up there with like Halloween or the Thing. Yeah, or it's they not. Live it's not or... talked about as much for sure. Right. Like when you hear Carpenter, like you hear the Thing, you hear Halloween, and that's about as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. See, that's like, funny because I know Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Nice, weird, deep cut. See, that's not the one that that's not one that I have seen. Yeah, before Halloween, I think that was my second Carpenter movie ever. Nice, uh, yes. But I, I think Carpenter. I also think synth scores. Yeah, and so I think that like he's that rare breed that'll do both. Like he's the guy who's known for doing both. Yeah, in a lot of ways, he did he did some he did you know the opening track for this movie exactly the mouth of madness and And the music for so many of his and his Halloween score is just like. God tier. Yeah. The score for They Live, which yeah. is like the most. It's it's one of those things where you're like this fucking guy, and it, the the way he records too. I was talking to my 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 little brother is a composer, and we were talking about. Um, he was uh, he watched Alien for the first time as oh, uh, for film club for a film class he was doing, and uh, talking about the score for that one. And the conversation naturally drifted to me talking about and like, well, I watched In the Mouth of Madness today, and you know, I was like, how much of Carpenter have you consumed as far as your stuff goes? Because he's a this whole thing of horror movie yeah music. Um, we talked about this in our Suspiria episode too, where the band Goblin coming in providing oh, this yeah. like crazy, very mesmerizing, bonkers score for a movie because um, horror. I feel like composing for a horror movie, it's it's much more of that. The the entire aesthetic and the objective of the music is completely different uh, than it is for yeah. maybe a dramatic or a, I don't know, an action movie or something. Yeah, that's what you're trying to say, yeah. but like intelligently. Yeah, no, yeah. it definitely it definitely sets sets the tone. One of my favorites is a disaster piece and like his work for It Follows. Mm. Oh like yeah, that. have you guys seen It Follows? Oh yet? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
like yeah. that th- the whole fucking music for that film just mm-hmm. sets the tone and just like this beginning of the in alpha <laughs> madness the song at the yeah. beginning it there shreds I, there it fucking I rips was, dude it's there yeah. i was i was like oh they got metallica for this baby <laughs> and then it's like oh it's just my man carpenter yeah. got it like right that, on. and it's so funny too we said like he's just like he couldn't get the right we'll get into it more mm-hmm. but he couldn't get the rights to he couldn't get metallica to do a song so he was like all right i'll just do my own Fuck. and it sounds so <laughs> good like i agree i was like wow they really got metallica yeah <laughs> i was really impressed kind i was like play. okay but he i like is he a musician first and filmmaker second? Like it feels almost like his musical talent is is overshadowing some of his, or vice versa. You know, I think like it's, I, yeah, I, on any given day, I go back and forth. Just the true Renaissance man. I think that's actually a good. Uh, you know, in this interview that he had this conversation with the AV Club uh, and preparing for the um, in the promotion for the release of Halloween Ends, right? <laughs> uh, so for David Gordon Green's movies, he actually was. You know, he he's a composer on those, doing some of the music. Is that uh, the one them. where he said he's like, I'm cool with people making more of these things? Yeah. This crazy thing happens where i get a check and no it's awesome. literally like he's like you know they ask him about what the process is or like what the experience is like composing for a halloween movie that he's not in charge of and they ask him is that difficult do you not do you dislike it do you have any animus and he's like hell no what, what are you talking about like yeah this is what this i love this i get to sit around and make music for you know for a movie that i am spiritually like you know related to but yeah. that i'm not responsible for directing or having to control or deal with the studio or do yeah, any yeah, of that yeah. bullshit. and i love that i think that's just why it's so easy to have so much like affection for old man Carpenter uh, and why like whenever I listen to like, you know, the deep dives of his filmography and stuff and the evolution of his relationship um, with the studio system going from the eighties into the nineties, it is like, it's pretty tragic, you know, in a way where it's, it's like, it's somebody who, you know, there, there are these directors and these filmmakers who encounter the studio system and then can like sort of adapt and learn how to function within it um, and then still, you know, make their work and stuff. But he's just somebody who didn't, he didn't like he he wasn't so willing to play the game in order to like make movies his his main thing is like he liked making movies and he liked making spectacles um but not at the expense of his own like mental health or like you know right. life or just personal you know yeah. well-being or whatever um how dare he I know how, his how, own well-being. how dare he deprive us of a uh, of, of more good art yeah um yeah, because not only did Carpenter give us, you know, some of the greatest horror movies of all time, but he also just seems like a cool fucking guy. And some of those other interviews, like we talked about, playing video games, they ask him about, you know, playing, like, Assassin's Creed and stuff. And he's like, you know, I, play, I like Valhalla, which is pretty damn good. I like the early ones a bit. Uh, and, you know, you can climb up towers and synchronize. And he says, I love that. And I love that there's Assassin's Creed's origins. And uh, I was kind of fond of that game. And it's repetitive. Anyway, I don't know. I don't want to criticize. And it's like him going off and talking about, they ask him about, like, uh, the Metal Gear Solid, like, you know, oh, video yeah. game makers and whether he's, like, played any of them because they're based on you know thick plus kid and stuff and it's yeah. he's like yeah i, I kind of like him my, my son played those games but i didn't really get into him that much but he's a legit just he's back there just you know, hanging around playing video games smoking weed um did you watch uh studio 666 when it came out i didn't i missed it that was the uh i watched the texas theater actually yeah, the Foo fighters one it's fun it's it's a silly movie as far as horror comedies go it's 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 up there it's which is funny because and as an addendum and dave i read dave grohl's book so i only know about it through mm. lit- literature and he was like <laughs> he talks about like he moved into that house and it's at, he like was convinced it's haunted mm-hmm. he was like let's make a movie yeah like, what a great instinct Dave yeah. Grohl oh that- snap wait so like he actually did live in that house yeah it's yeah like, there's like a legit That's his home. yeah there's a legit like what? background story of the origin of like why they and that, that was the whole but premise. he like wanted it to be like a kind of spooky house I yeah think. 
Dave Grohl's a wild guy. Yeah. Uh, but that's that was the whole premise for that movie is they were like, well, let's just take that and run with it and make it yeah. like, you know, a silly, like haunted movie. Yeah. They would uh, always joke about how like band practice would be haunted or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything can be spooky if you manifest it. You yeah. Know? Like at that point. So. Yeah. One of the themes of uh, this movie and we'll get into it. But that's the. That uh, should be a sweater. Anything <laughs> can be spooky if you manifest <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Trademark um, it, Travis. Yeah. Put it on Sunday Scaries merch. We'll add it to the list of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of merch orders that <laughs> currently in the works uh but yeah in that that movie i just referenced that one because he uh he makes a little cameo in that movie as their audio john engineer carpenter. yeah john carpenter oh, shows up damn. as the audio engineer for Dude, the food oh, fighters yeah, I think with being his a son and then just ride off into like in a car and that's yeah. it yeah yeah he just shows up has like a couple of like he has like maybe like one line but he's just like a, in the background there and i'm like that's that's fucking john carpenter <laughs> like imagine being like dave Grohl's. I talked about his book before on this podcast, actually, but it's funny because he's so well known. He's played in so many famous bands too. That guy could actually probably call Beyonce, and she might like just go have dinner with him. Like yeah. he's like this guy who's yeah, just like so. Dave Grohl calls you. You're a celebrity. You're like, yeah, I want to hang out with this guy. Yeah, he like, also seems super fucking chill too. Oh yeah. Like, did you ever watch his Hot Ones interview yes. where he does the chicken wings? He's yes. he's one of the guys who made fucking Sean Evans he got, break because he, he got, got him, Sean Evans super. He, he got drunk, him hammered because right? he yeah. kept taking shots throughout the uh, the it's interview. Like every wing we're gonna do a shot. That's ten shots, sir. <laughs> I was like, poor Sean Evans. Um. But yeah, I think it, uh, being an elder statesman of the of the horror industry, yeah, you right. get to do shit like that. Where John Carpenter gets for, uh, like all the respect, and he doesn't have to mm-hmm. do any work anymore. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, but yeah, so um, in the mouth of madness, written by Michael DeLuca, um, it was originally pitched to Carpenter by DeLuca in the early '80s. Uh, so we were kind of talking about Michael DeLuca a second ago. The kid, so pay this, attention to that name. That guy's important. Yeah, <laughs> this was written. He wrote this when he was 22. Um, what the fuck? I don't. I don't even remember. Uh, I was like working at a movie theater. Still working at a movie theater. I was working at like my first movie theater at 22. Yeah. And like slinging popcorn. Like, and this man was like building a fucking manuscript for. No, no, no. Life happens just to that. us at its own pace. Yeah. I refuse to compare myself to Michael no. DeLuca. Yeah. We. It's it's easy to to what is it like to fetishize youth, right? And to you know, yeah. talk about how what like, they say Steve Buscemi didn't become like a real famous actor until he was like in his late 30s or yeah. something okay i can still do it then. it's okay hey. still there's time. like people who like started whole businesses in their 50s yeah like you were like oh wow i didn't know that yeah you gotta Just, be around yeah but michael deluca like yeah like you said that name comes up a lot because he also um very like the age of 19 got into um uh, on the back end, the production side of uh, New Line Cinema, um, as a young buck, he was just yeah. He came in hot, and he had that swagger where he was Guns basically like blazing, essentially well, yeah, yeah. Some things are blazing. He uh, he he comes in and he's like you know he's a young kid who likes horror movies. Um, basically manifests a personality in you know in the eighties during a time period was where if you had that swagger, you could get in with the studio and you could like you know fake it until you make it essentially and that's essentially how this came to be he's as a young kid he writes this script and originally pitches it to carpenter who at the time in in the 80s he's he doesn't really know what to do with it he doesn't know if he could you know achieve the things that the script really is asking for yeah um and it gets kind of thrown around a couple of times to you know put, put before a few different other directors um over the course of the 80s, uh, during which course uh, Michael DeLuca ascends the ranks of New Line Cinema. And essentially, by the time this movie is coming back in the works, um, there's an idea where Sam Neill's going to direct it, and then it lands back you know, in front of Carpenter. And by this point, Michael DeLuca is is a top, a much higher up uh, 
I guess executive within New Line Cinema. Yeah. Uh, and he essentially is able to just green light his own script for you know for this movie to come. <laughs> That's out. the play. Yeah. Right, young, green light, old. Yeah. <laughs> By old, I mean like maybe three or four years later. Yeah. yeah exactly. Just have things in the works uh, uh, until things go. Oh, on. this old thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot I wrote that. We should make it done. And like you said, because uh, you were kind of listening, we were looking at some of the other stuff that, like, during this era of the 90s that Michael DeLuca greenlights, uh, yeah, like, like, the mask. Yeah, he essentially, like, or... kicks off some of the peak 90s films. Yeah, some of the greatest, because this is also in the era, I don't know, this is one of the greatest eras of film for me. Uh, the 90s. Is, just this, this couple of years, too, oh. like, between 93, 94, and 95. Yeah, this comes out in 1995. It's uh, it's originally like released with the film festivals, I think, in 1994, huh. um, and then is released okay. in February for a uh, a wide release in uh, or in February of 1995. Um, yeah, because that that tail end of 94 is man, there's just some crazy shit that you're trying to compete against, and so it's I don't know, I wouldn't want to be in be in the in the ring with those other movies. I um, you know we say that, but I also think about that like there's like almost every year I'm like, ooh, that's a horrible weekend to be a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's not gonna be a good weekend. Turns out there's movies coming out all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's the nature of the film business, I guess. You're like competitive. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, this year. I mean, I think I keep reading like every week. It seems like a new article comes out talking about 2022 being the best year for horror movies. Like, but it's it's also kind of true. We had a lot of bangers this year. And we did. I don't know. It's gonna be hard to do that roundup at the end of the year when we do our uh, <sighs> top movies of 2022. Yeah. Who wants to listen to a four hour podcast? <laughs> I do. Or a um, thirty minute podcast and Tyler, Travis, and I just fist fight each other <laughs> and the winner gets to say what the best five movies were i think we're pretty much in well i say that i don't know i feel like we were kind of in agreement about most of the movies that came out this year uh we shall see we'll, we'll see we'll see how that list comes together um but yeah so this is uh this gets picked up though uh so in 93 goes into production uh new line cinema is making it john carpenter's directing um so the plot of this movie in the mouth of madness is uh, based on hp lovecraft's uh at the mountains of madness um a very similar title too and it, this is a very lovecraftian story uh i don't know i i was briefly like glossing over a basic synopsis of the plot of at the mountains of madness um it's a it's a novella in which the narrator attempts to uh, dissuade his audience from attempt- attempting an expedition to antarctica for fear of awakening an apocalyptic evil that lays dormant uh in a hidden mountain range than the Himalayas uh, on the South Pole of the world. Um, it's a really like, yeah, it, there's some, this is where we get references to the classic, you know, um, myth the Cthulhu mythology and the, the, you know, Lovecraftian beings of the, uh, the elder ones, uh, and the, uh, the Shogoths, which are sort of like formless ancient beings that, uh, came to earth directly after the formation of the moon, uh, and constructed like these ancient temples before, uh, biological life existed on the planet earth that's fucking wicked yeah there's some cool like it's this idea of like the ancient evils that are that are uh intergalactic like celestial that are like coming to earth and populating it in a way um and i didn't like cosmic horror yeah the cosmic horror and horrific beings that that are older than which i've read a bunch of lovecraft lovecraftian horror as well um Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like part of it is not like to the creatures themselves are like pure alien. Mm-hmm. You're like, I would never have imagined something like this, but they also like basically just destroy the human brain. Trying, trying to comprehend such villainous and evil like forces. Mm-hmm. It like breaks your brain and yeah, you just go crazy. Yeah. It's like a very common theme in a lot of his stories. Yeah. Like, the idea they of like a crazy monster and the human's brains just 
yeah, an unknowable evil, like something yeah. that is just so so beyond our comprehension that it just breaks us. Yeah, um, like right, it's like as like as deep as space and as vast as the stars, yeah. and you're like, but there are infinite stars, and your brain just starts like cracking in half. I I always love that idea. I love the idea of like, uh, it's like what is that thing with in in math and like psychology where it's um when we try to explain like why like why it's so hard to um to explain. Uh, like wealth disparity, for instance, like yeah. the idea of like understanding the number one billion versus like one million, right? Because like our brains can't think of the scale like logarithmically, like we can't think of yeah. a scale that that ascends upward exponentially. This is important too for what we're for the movie we're going to discuss. Yeah, sorry. But, but I like this. Yeah, but it's yeah. yeah, the idea of like it, it's it's so beyond our comprehension, or like we just can't intuitively visualize or conceptualize of those things because we never had we we had no reason right. to like as as the animals that we it's are. It's impractical. Yeah, um, which is a cool like I, I love that is that is always a fascinating idea it's like things that like just by the nature of understanding them will drive you mad i know is... and I, I i hate to be the person to say this on a podcast where everything is recorded but i did thoroughly enjoy lovecraft's work um but i i think it's fair to acknowledge he was a horrible oh, yeah, he's a bad person he's yeah. a horrible yeah. horrible human yeah um so and that's one of the difficulties yeah it's like the idea of lovecraft stuff is cool and like i i don't know like i've never you've you've, you've read it i've never read like any of his stuff except oh, for man. no except for glazing through the stuff uh, you would for love it have you read any lovecraft no i actually haven't i hate mm-hmm. to do this i really don't endorse <laughs> yeah without yeah, always with, preface yeah with, i I'm like hate i hate this, this guy but I, say it. I his I'll say this. I hate this guy, but his shit slaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't say it in a better way. From what yeah, I understand, yeah. though, it's like Lovecraft is one of those guys where it's like once you've read a couple of his things, yeah, a lot of it's you kind of get the same. Like, yeah. But there's a few, uh, like the real popular movie adaptations um, that really stick with you. I remember reading, because I, re- I read some horror every October, and a couple years ago, I did like a deep dive on an anthology. And I did. I had a hard time going to sleep after reading some of his stuff. And that never happens to me when I read. I'm like, okay, cool. Go to bed. Oh, that's impressive. But his stuff, like, his prose is elegaic in a lot of ways. It's like all these, uh, lots of big words, but in a way that makes you feel creeped out. You're like, oh, that is disgusting. I was wondering what other movie you're going to reference that is uh, Lovecraftian. Because the one that I that popped oh, yeah. in my mind immediately was that um, Underwater. Uh, did you ever watch that movie no from 2020 it was like that one that was kind of like shelved for a long time even after it got made like it got made in like 2016 or something and then it got released in 2020 on i think like streaming only and it's well, with um kristen stewart oh, and uh tim like tj miller and stuff and they wait what yeah it's man tj miller's career upsets me anyways he has moving a weird on, on. he has a weird career but yeah it's like it's essentially like they um it's it's that the classic or uh, like deep water that other or what's the, abyss? That, the abyss where yeah they go like James they cameron's the abyss yeah well they say it by its proper name <laughs> um but in underwater they basically have like they have like a sea lab that's like at the bottom of the ocean and they go down there and they accidentally awaken some like ancient that's being. basically the Ooh. short story call of cthulhu yeah yeah um, and that's kind of like the yeah, other spoilers there's a, there's a cthulhu-esque kind of being right. in that movie uh, but too, oh cool. was oh i know what you're talking, about, talking about the one with chris sorry kristen stewart yeah you said, i thought you said kirsten dunst for no, a second yeah. and i was like when did kirsten right, dunst like, and tj miller when make did a movie she together? pun intended to dive <laughs> yes actually i have seen underwater it was the first movie i saw uh after like in the middle of the pandemic we went to a drive-in theater oh nice oh, my right wife on. took oh, you me saw it at a drive-in 
Yeah, That's it was cool. a bad choice because it's a really it's a dark really, yeah, movie. Yeah, I was gonna say that'd be a bummer. <laughs> but we wanted to, I and mean, we just couldn't go to movies. And oh, I think yeah, my yeah. wife saw us having some kind of like depression for but not going to the theater. But that's a good vibe, though. Like, yeah. Oh, it was the, great. Like, the drive-in. And we brought like, dinner, and we just had a blast. We were kind of laughing oh. while we were watching it. I'd watch that again in a heartbeat, though. I remember being thoroughly entertained. I liked it a lot. No, it's see. a great movie. No, I was gonna say Color Out of Space. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that. That is. Have you seen Color Out of Space? Yes, I did. That's also Lovecraft. Literally a Lovecraft short story. Um, I think minus the alpacas, yeah. if you know what I'm talking what? about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, but yeah. Lovecraft himself, uh, aside from being a notorious racist, um, wrote like is the uh, progenitor of a lot of this like cosmic horror, like things mm-hmm. so massive and scary that your brain can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. And there's like there's always like a cult of weirdos trying to resurrect one of those evil cosmic monsters. Yeah. I like the idea too of uh, in at the mountains of madness. Uh, one of the elements of uh, the Shogoth, which are like the intergalactic like beings that came and like populated Earth, <laughs> is the idea that like all biology on the planet Earth is technically like a descendant of these organic beings, which were tools right. of like whatever alien race. Um, and so it's this idea, like the idea that that all of like human knowledge and history is also like inherently flawed and that our understanding of like, right. the university itself, universe right. Itself is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, he'll do that thing kind of like some other authors where they're like, when they're writing, they'll present this history as like, here's a textbook on our yeah. history. And then it's like, it's like saying things you've never heard before. Yeah. So it takes a while to sink in and then you're like, wow, I didn't know. Like we're the descendants of wild amoeba monsters with yeah. eyeballs that like have weird, creepy tendrils. It's cool though. Yeah. If you look at like, and that's also like Lovecraft is also where, uh, we get like the idea of like the necronomicon right yes he um, invented the necronomicon right mm-hmm. yeah and then it, which is situated here's a fun fact which is i was wikipediaing a whole bunch of lovecraft today um but is they it's with the miskatonic university in arkham hmm. uh which is the town in one of the short stories in a town called arkham which i think is one of the early earliest uses of that word which then became anyone who's a batman fan yeah, an asylum, asylum for um <laughs> mentally uh, the criminally insane the criminally insane Gotham. that's what it is yeah um so there's level there's like very interesting he he is like some weird stuff about it all kind of goes back to him mm-hmm. um, which you can visit his house his home in uh, new england i don't remember hmm. exactly where but you can visit at least one of the homes where he wrote a bunch of his stuff um, because I know it gets tons of visitors in the in the fall season. Oh, Interesting. I visit it. Have I read any of his stuff? No. Would I visit it? Yeah, yes. right. absolutely. hundred percent. That's probably the best way to approach that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because the Necronomicon is the other thing that shows up a lot in like the Evil Dead and other. I know. And stuff. I saw like, that and I was gets, like, "Oh, that's where yeah. that's from." That's where that yeah, that trope comes from of like the the book of uh, the book of evil. Essentially, a book so evil it could once opened and read could like summon diabolical monsters. Yeah, bring about the apocalypse. Which yeah. Turns out we might be dealing with that here. So, the uh, yeah, so the monsters, the Shogoths and stuff that are referenced in uh, At the Mountains of Madness are portrayed here in this movie like fantastically. So, Industrial Light and Magic in its early stages doing uh, an amazing job at uh, creating practical monsters and effects combined with some really, really awesome, like, sort of groundbreaking visual effects too for the computer generated stuff they're doing. The, uh, the monsters in this movie are badass. I think, like, I remember seeing like some of these like on some weird like featurette thing of like the design of them. Yeah. Um they're very like in classic carpenter fashion, they're very gooey. Wait, like, who's uh name your favorite monster? We could go around the room. Of all like of all the monsters in in, in, oh, this, in this movie. movie. Oh, oh, in this movie? No, yeah, in the in oh, the in, in the this, Mouth of Madness. Oh, in this movie automatically when 
Styles is um is hugging, hugging the Kane. Author. Oh yeah. And you get <laughs> the uh, I have big malignant and then vibes. I, Voldemort vibes, yeah. yeah. It's just like she's embracing him and it looks like she's longing after him and about to kiss him, but she's just touching his face. Yeah. But like his, his other back face. His back face. <laughs> yeah. Like that, his back oh knee my god. Yeah. Chef, chef's kiss when that happened. <laughs> I was like, oh I really yes. like the uh the old lady whenever she gets turns into a tentacle monster. Tentacles, uh, man. Yeah, tentacle yeah. lady. Uh tentacles, yeah, they're creepy. Just in in any situation. I'm, i think I like the old lady a lot. Yeah. Um especially because like the longer it goes on, the more tentacly she gets. Yeah. And she was apparently, like, I guess originally they were trying to put, you know, a person in a suit like they did with the other monsters. But for that one, it just wasn't looking real enough. So yeah. they, like, they ended up making a miniature of her. This is, like, the thing I, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is one of the things that makes Carpenter the goat. Is I was like, man, I feel like modern filmmakers might take all these effects and do however they would do it. It just wouldn't have the same impact. For some reason, I think of the thing all the time because I watch it and I'm like, these effects are like kind of dated and you can kind of tell, but they are yeah. terrifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. in a way that I'm like, I don't know. I still don't fully grasp why I'm like, like the thing is infamous. And this is exactly the same thing for me is like just an example of how well either he knows how to frame these effects, how to film it. Like th- this is like he has a, a, an instinct for these kinds of things. Yeah. And it comes a decade after the thing has been made. So he's able to sort of you yeah. know, use the established knowledge that he had for making the thing. And they live in these other movies that really hit the ballpark, like hit the ball out of the park with these practical effects. The thing right. famously is like, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest stepping stones for practical effects that just fucking blew people's minds uh, when it was first released. And, oh, it's And terrifying. you watched that movie for the first time the other day. And How'd even you though, feel? You probably had that scene spoiled for you before, right? Well, so with the thing, uh, and you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, like with with the thing, there are a lot of scenes that I remember, kind of getting like a back reference to, like throughout the years, because so many people love the film, so many people love Carpenter. But one of my one of my buddies, Eli, he was like, "If you're gonna watch it, I have to give you the first viewing." And then I was like, <laughs> "Okay." So then we're like sitting down. We're watching it. We're having like chicken tenders. <laughs> That's going to be important. It's thematic, I think. I'm, set, I'm, Those setting, I'm setting the scene because I like details. But as I was yeah. watching it, one of, one of the things that now as I dive even like deeper into horror is that I'm always expecting things, right? Like right. I, I'm always yeah. kind of like, oh, well, I can kind of tell what's going to happen. Yeah. So... It, for me, I end up taking the fun out of it. But with the thing, I was not expecting anything that kept happening, especially this one scene where they're trying to revive this table. And because the whole time I'm just I'm just eating. And I know that like my like I know that my friends like, you know, kind of slightly looking at me because I'm sure he has seen so many of us obviously have like seen this movie except me, obviously. And I'm like watching it. I'm just eating. I'm like, huh. I was like, everyone is so calm. And that's what I like about Carpenter's work, that you're kind of looking every which way. Yeah, because he's making certain scenes just so mundane, just so like just normal and all of these men around are just kind of just being very aloof. And as they're trying to like revive this man, and then as he goes to 
revive him like his hands go through the fucking stomach dives and right then, in yeah. with the defibrillator and i was like what the? and i just yelled i was like yes. what the yeah. fuck is this yeah and that's when i realized like oh i should be giving props to carpenter and i just haven't like i should be giving him his flowers like right now i have friends who aren't horror movie fanatics but they will go to they will die on the altar of the thing they're like i watch that movie once a year i'm like you don't watch anything once a year i mean as they should yeah yeah. for sure yeah um but i like ilm doing the practical effects everything about it i'm like i don't like something about it i'm like i don't know if we'd get the same effect today i don't know you don't i mean famously yeah the 2013 uh the thing with mary elizabeth winston instead they um yeah they did the movie entire movie in practical effects and then they you know pasted over it with the uh, cgi right. that they had made and it just it doesn't have the same effect because it doesn't they're you know within visual effects this is a conversation i think we keep having and that a lot of people keep having is the idea of we are luckily at the stage now where i think most production designers and you know visual effects supervisors understand that when you're going to try to achieve something to create a visual spectacle on screen there is a way to do it that you know our history of doing visual effects has informed that sometimes practical effects work better right. sometimes you do visual you know cgi effects but a lot of times when those are used it's for subtle stuff that you don't even know and that's when it works best and then when you do stuff in camera though it's you just get something that that you can't achieve yeah. um, without you know without eons of planning like you know that that is not not possible for most people it's also like practical effects when when planned well can save you a ton of money yeah it's like they're like oh fix it in post is like a nightmare sentence mm-hmm. because like you can't just like animate a bloodbath yeah like no. you need to have a you need to have something to go off of bare minimum yeah um and i lo- this is fun the industry the makeup uh like effects makeup people that do like blood sprays mm-hmm. or like all that stuff they're the most interesting humans I've ever met on the planet. I want to be a part of that world so you, badly, I like, like so badly. Would, I have a friend who did some detail. Or we did a movie together. Ferris and I did that movie together. And their makeup, uh, like VFX murder blood person was just an incredible and a wonderful human being. But uh, she has since gone on to do a bunch of different prosthetics and like tons of work on that. And I think she had been posting about getting like small gigs on like Mandalorian and even the new Hellraiser and was like designing some of the suits and like working on one of those costs. She's so fascinating. I wish she was like in the in the Texas area. Uh, I actually don't know where she is, but you should call her 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 on this podcast. She's amazing. Yeah, that's because the thing is like I love watching the behind. Um, There was this really cool thing that I I saw some like an entire hour long featurette for uh, Nope again. uh, And that was talking about, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes work for um, the Gordy's home scene with the uh, the murder and like the mocap. Yeah, they brought in the same guy. I brought in the guy, but then also the uh, the, <laughs> the one guy. scene whenever they're doing like the fist bump, right? And then oh, like you know the monkey gets yeah. So there's that scene, but like the cool rigging of the uh, you know they had an air gun with basically the blood packet in it, and as Jordan's on set like counting it down three, two, one, and then boom, because it's when the shot hits the monkey from behind or whatever, right. and you see yeah the air gun just splattering the little boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, man, that's just such a cool. It's so cool to see it from that angle and to see the uh, the yeah. practical effects behind it. And on that level, <laughs> I mean, it, probably on Carpenter's level too but like those effects have to be kind of like walked through so mm-hmm. it audio wise this is like one of my they're like some of my favorite days because you just can't record anything like they are they're kind of counting down to yeah uh like you you really shouldn't surprise your actors with like fake gunshots or anything like that like everything you do has to be planned yeah and so like you know the director's shouting out okay cue uh, blood spurt. Uh, three, two, one. Camera pan and blood and action, and then the actor goes on action, mm-hmm. so that like 
the camera's rolling, the blood happens, and then the act. So like the actor is the last person to get involved um, because they're so focused on getting the effects right. Um, oh my god, what this is a fun story. But one time I was on this thing and they basically like plant it was this whole bit where like they crush a person's head someone just like this monster takes the guy by the ears and just like high fives himself like splashes this guy's head and they had this whole thing rigged they break the head the blood comes out but i think the pump like overpowered and they put a glass shield in front of the camera but it was like spraying (laughs) everything the poor camera i think the focus puller was right there and he like came away just like covered and I was so lucky because I just I had to stand far away because I'm not like I can't get I can't get any like blood on this microphone. So it was funny because they're like they you can plan and plan and plan and then it'll like it'll be even bigger than you expect. And I remember the producer coming down being like, "Fuck yeah, we got it!" It's <laughs> like so that's, excited. That's just the best energy to have in that situation. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, like I was like, "It's so it. bloody." <laughs> but like the practical effects in this movie too are like one of the other things that really enhance it because of all of the uh, like the makeup design. And I love like yeah. the uh, the diversity of all the different like stages of mutation of all the people that have been infected by the book and stuff. They said it was um, uh, there was one where there were like thirty monster it was a wall of monsters mm-hmm. that ilm took like a couple weeks to put together yeah that's the one with all of the suits and everything yeah. i think that's what that when they have all of the uh, yeah the models that they're all you know coming down that hallway like chasing right. him and stuff um that one's huge but i think that's why but even like the uh like the makeup on the little girl like whenever yeah um, like way yeah, like yeah. later on but like the creepiest little girl when she's like oh it's mommy's day you're yeah. my mommy now there's like oh, two yeah. prosthetics yeah. Eye pro- there's just, like contact lenses facial prosthetics that subtle cue that like it never gets explained because like carpet he feels no need to like elaborate on it or anything but yeah. like the fact that like when everybody it, whenever anybody reads this shit like they their eyes their pupils like split into two yeah. like, in each eye but not fully it's yeah like like meiosis like, like yeah if, Bianca can see it, but like yeah. if you take two C's and put them together, yeah. Um, but it's awesome, yeah. The rest of, the, I mean, this whole movie is really visually stunning. Uh, it has this like I didn't know if this was uh, intentional or not, but um, I noticed like in the very first couple of sequences too, it seems like there's like film grain artifacts. Like yeah. whenever you're watching it, as if it's like filmed on 35 millimeter or something. I was watch, I rented it on Amazon Prime, and I'm not sure which, which I did too. Which version of the movie uh, is on there? Did but you get that like, notice that it's like they're screening it in 4K? No, mine was like. I think I just rented it. It's like three bucks. I don't know. But they were like, oh, we're technically screening this in 4K if your computer can handle it. Oh, nice. Uh, mine cannot. But <laughs> that's not <laughs> that important to me personally. I just wanted to see it. You know? Yeah. But there is like a texture to the movie where it's like it's like that. And I thought um, I, I didn't find anything about this, but I assumed it was like foreshadowing like later the idea that what we are watching is the <laughs> film that he is later watching and the idea that it's. It's already like in the universe right. of the movie. It is already like the film grain. I did notice the grain comes mm-hmm. back uh, more heavily at the end too. It does because it's, it's the not, exact same thing. and it's also not consistent throughout. Like in the, yeah. in the first scenes of Sam Neill retelling his story, it doesn't appear to be there. I think. Yeah, I it's, catch a, it. it's a subtle framing device. Yeah. I think that's fair to say it's intentional. Um, what do you think about Sam Neill, man? Like, like I mean, we could talk about. What, so- do, you, I, what do you think about Sam Neill? Oh, you go first. I. I love Sam Neill with a passion. Yeah. And and see and seeing him in this film was just oh, it was just such a pleasure. Like even even from like one of my favorite scenes like uh of this film is just where He's just so fucking cocky yeah. about being like this, you know, this insurance. He's the best of the best. Yeah, and then he's he's just like in the office and then 
when they're asking him, can I go into the details of the film? Yeah, we're gonna let's go yeah. and start talking about yeah. you know the, some of the scene, these scenes here because yeah. there's some good ones. Uh, it turns out in this movie. But one, <laughs> one, yeah, one of my favorite scenes is he goes to the publishing offices of Sutter Kane, and they're they're asking him like, hey, like we need you to find Sutter Kane because he's gone missing, and we need the final manuscript basically. And he's like, I can do it. And then they're like, okay, but you have to understand point A, point B, point C. Like, these are the things that are happening. These are the things that are being connected to his writing. And he's like, it's fine. Like, this is all a hoax anyway. Not only that, but he yeah. suspects them immediately of yeah. being, of trying to commit fraud. Yes, exactly. And he's like, he's, he's, he's like, so on top of it. Out. Yeah, he's so on like, top of it. He immediately accuses the people employing him. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm not sure I trust you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's this whole, this whole first bit, right? So we get the opening bit at the hospital, right? Where yes. it's like, they bring him in uh, and he kicks that guy in the balls yes. and it's awesome. And then they institutionalize him, right? Um, my favorite joke from this opening bit was two things. It was like the one where he's like he's he's like first pleading to let have them let him out and he's like i'm sorry about the kick to the balls it was just good luck i promise yeah. <laughs> it was just a lucky shot um but then later so they bring dr ren in um to come and talk to him uh david warner uh who by the way uh was in titanic uh tron and scream 2 uh our boy was uh, <gasps> yes, the drama teacher he was a uh, drama teacher yeah so nice. uh dr ren comes in and uh <laughs> the the head psychiatrist is like he requested one thing a single black crayon and then they walk in and you're like a single black crayon he's painted like lowercase t's all over the inside of his asylum and over his face and stuff and you're like all right that that one black crayon really really got yeah, some it really, mileage it really on it. got far like that's for sure <laughs> yeah. um but it, it, much like uh, I, I think this is the thing in lovecraftian stories right the idea of starting at the end and then like being like well i bet you're wondering yeah. how i got here kind yeah. of thing yeah all his stories um, are like someone telling the story to yeah. someone else because that's part of the the idea of like this is a true thing it's right like, oh, like it has to be true because someone like is sharing it a lore basically. yeah yeah story within a story kind of thing uh because that's Which how is, and, it, and this is always funny too because it all his stories it, it finally finishes real time now we're back to like oh he's talking to this person they catch up with and then the, they always. reveal that the person he's talking to is like the killer or something right. just like dun, dun, they're dun. like the monster's gotten him too yeah. and then like Lovecraft will end it like and then America and then the world ended yeah it's like, you're like wait what and that was it <laughs> adios uh, but they get back here yeah and he, he begins the story where it ends uh, and starts telling his story and like his whole recounting and he's like I know things are dire right now but let me go ahead and tell you the rest of the story and suppose then, you're wondering how I got exactly here. smash cut uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you fucking have uh, Matthew Broderick narrating <laughs> Would it be or would it be Bob Saget narrating? It would probably be Bob Saget narrating if it was nineties. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, yeah then, but then we get the yeah, those sequences of a kind of setting up that uh, that John Trent is a an ace insurance adjuster slash investigator. Insurance investigator. Yeah, this whole the whole uh, his first scene, he proves some guy is like committing fraud immediately. He does it in three moves. It's yeah. like watching a chess master. And Got it in three. But the amount of swagger that Sam Neill has, yeah. too. This is why I wanted to kind of, like, start with just him in the first place. Because I feel like... like it's like one of those guys you, like, don't full... You don't, you're like, why was there sex appeal to Sam Neill? Like, isn't he just kind of, like, a cool guy? And then you see, like, one movie where they were, like, 
oozing charisma and you're yeah. like, oh. It's like, I, I kind of I call it the Burt Reynolds like, effect. Yeah. It's like, because no man, nowadays, this is another thing, but like every man now is like super ripped. Like that's their, they're hot because they're like muscular and funny. Right. But like, that wasn't a thing. Like yeah. Burt Reynolds was just an, like a pretty like normally fit man with a decent amount of charisma. Yeah. And that guy has crazy sex appeal. Yeah. I don't know why. It's all about, yeah, it's all about personality. Same for Sam Neill. Yeah. That's the thing like people say where it's like in, you know, fucking Marvel and Disney movies now where it's like everybody's like fucking gorgeous, but like nobody has sex. Like everybody is like very neutered, like sexually and stuff. And Sam Neill in like movies like this, it's not just that, but it's just like, like you said, charisma and fucking prowess. Because they set up right at the very beginning with that scene that he like he knows what he's doing and he can like he flips up somebody trying to commit like insurance fraud like right away because the guy like involved his wife in the deal, but was also cheating on her. So he went behind his back, talked to his wife and made her uh, confess to the having yeah, a part in it exactly. and i was like damn that's a good fucking mystery i want to see that movie just like in itself uh before this movie yeah, starts yeah like that could have been like the fucking ending to another movie yeah been like see you never involve your mistress like mistress and your wife yeah. kind of thing yeah. um but in this whole opening sequence immediately like his boss uh robinson uh is telling him how good he is at his job and is like yeah you go freelance do your own thing and this is where we get that first like awesome jump scare though of the yeah. axe murder coming like just it's coming straight it's so delayed because he's so far away. He's across the street, yeah. and you're just watching this conversation and, happen. And like, people are getting out of this guy's way. Yeah, and they don't notice him until the very last minute when he finally like plunges the axe through the window of the diner and starts yeah. attacking Sam Neill. Um, he says, "Do you read Sutter Kane?" Uh, we'll later learn that this is the uh, the agent, the book agent, the booking agent for, or the, I guess the publishing agent, yeah, the writing agent. I don't know. The agent for Sutter Kane. Yeah. Um, that guy. Who, who's been driven mad by reading uh, the early chapters of his new book, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, but the, that guy gets shot by the police. And then we we kind of lead into the sequences of uh, Sam Neill getting hired to, uh, like you said, to, to investigate the disappearance of Sutter Kane. Um, in between that scene, the one you're talking about, uh, where he's getting hired and sort of, and later when he actually gets sent on the mission, right? Um, this whole middle, like, investigative, like, research section where he's kind of, like, piecing the things together. Yeah. This is where, like, the first, like, hints of stuff kind of start to unfold. Um, we get the first couple of, like, fake out dream sequences dreams as and he's dreams being. Dreams within a dream. Yeah, he's dreams being. Within a dream within a dream. I guess infected by the evil of the book as he's, like, reading over. He's yeah. go, He goes off and buys some of the books to kind of, like, investigate and figure out what this is all about. And so, as the evils of the book start seeping into his brain, he yeah, he starts hallucinating and having these. Which is funny when so when Sutter so when he goes to take this meeting with the book the publishing um, group, and they kind of like he, they're like, do you know Sutter Kane? And he's like, I don't know, some author. He writes horror, and they're like, uh, uh he first he meets um Mrs. Styles, Julius. Styles, right? Yeah, uh, Linda Styles. Linda Styles. Yeah. I was like, Julie Styles yeah. is not. Julie it's Carmen like, is the actor Julie who played Carmen Linda Styles. Linda, Linda Styles. Yeah. He just calls her Styles the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, and she's like offended. She's like, uh, he's like one of the most prolific and impactful authors of the twenty first or the twentieth century. Like how they something. bash King right there too. And oh, immediately, yeah, the best so. part is that like Sutter Kane is more impactful than Stephen King ever was. She says, Steve, for, Stephen King, forget about him. <laughs> yeah. Sutter Kane outsells them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's which is funny because Stephen King and John Carpenter are friends. Yeah, so he can do that. They're buddies, and they and so much of this movie is kind of like Sutter Kane is like a surrogate for Stephen King in many ways. Oh yeah, that, um, that's kind of the some of the fun of of it too. It's a bizarre horror crossover. Is like uh, a lot of the like stuff they'll reference can be both like Lovecraft actual Lovecraft short stories and then like 
jokes about like Stephen King, like all the common tropes in Stephen mm-hmm. King books. Um, the idyllic New England town, yeah, uh, where all of his stuff, like Hobbs End, I is mean, essentially the book Castle co- the Rock. Book, the book covers alone, yeah, that's yeah. I was like, oh, this like is a just goosebumps like, vibe. yeah, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is just like taking a stab on Stephen King. Like whenever I was looking at like the book covers when the children are. Right. When the children are announced, when they're presented, I was like, what is this? Yeah, it was a little children of the corn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Misery with like the old woman. Although it wasn't directly, like it's not one to one, Mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. still felt a little misery, a little shining. Yeah, I mean, there's like the feeling of it. Yeah. I mean, there's axes all over the place. So yeah, there's a big big shining energy. I thought that this was actually a book written by Stephen King right. and it was just mm. directed by John Carpenter. Like, that's what I thought. Could, I could definitely see that. Which yeah. I think is funny. Uh, like, Stephen King... You know how Stab is the name of the movie? Oh, yeah. In yeah. Scream. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like Stephen King is the Stab of In the Mouth of Madness, <laughs> yeah. except he's real. And yeah. That's a real thing. <laughs> so there's like... And it's part of the movie is it's playing with some of this, like, what is real to us and what isn't. And, like, Stephen King is real in this movie and Stephen King's real in our in our universe. So how far apart can these two... like yeah. our universe in this movie be yeah the, the levels of meta that this movie kind of like folds itself into as well are right. like i, I want to get into this a little bit later we'll too. get into, into it by the ending because yeah. it gets real wild yeah um we also get introduced to charlton heston i forget in that original uh, that scene oh, where yeah. meeting for the first time he's the uh the head of the publishing house that sutter kane is <laughs> Hell uh, yeah. published by charlton heston a uh, classic you know uh, old, old elder statesman of the, AKA, of the industry uh what is it? Was he Moses? Moses. Moses. The Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah, he was Ben-Hur. Uh, he was the narrator in Armageddon. Um, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, classic dude. Um, yeah, we get those that middle sequence where um, Sam Neill's character is starting to unravel the mystery of like how this all fits together. He discovers that the covers of all of uh, Sutter Kane's books reveal a map of New Hampshire that pinpoints the location of the uh, supposedly fictional city of Hobbs End, where all of his uh, where stories they think Sutter Kane yeah. is has hit, absconded away yeah, to for himself. several months now. That's so wicked. He's just like, hold on, guys, and just starts ripping all the fucking covers to try to assemble this like piece of. Map. I love it like, too. He's so like pissy about it. He's like, oh, of course it. He's would. like this fucking guy. Of course, like this is easy. <laughs> it's like calm down, Trent. He like, hates. Please. He also hates reading. He's like, fuck this shit. I know. Like, he hates those books. They're so like, much. are you gonna read it? He's like, do you have an audio book? Like, yeah, no. What? What a, what a millennial. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll watch the six second TikTok later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, the in the dream sequences though, one thing I don't want to gloss over is those uh these this like these dream sequences that he has where he's walking down these very dirty alley alleyways right yes. and he sees posters for um Sutter Kane's new book on the wall of the alleyway and then rounds a corner and there's there, he's witnesses some police brutality as like uh, an officer is like just like an afterthought of the movie yeah just brutally beating a man for yeah. doing some graffiti I guess um and then in the course of a couple of fake out w- dreams and wake ups. He, you know, the, the he, we go back to the police officer whose face is like deformed and mutated, uh, like some of the other characters. Um, and then he has a vision of, of what will later be the mob of townsfolk wielding axes and um, and attempting to murder him. Uh, but then he wakes up and figures out the map. And so, right, then he goes back and they uh, they make a plan to so they uh, send him on a mission. Go yeah. check that shit out, my guy. Yeah, but and don't Styles do it alone. Is going with you. Yeah, which I want to be clear when he first meets her, he is so scuzzy. <laughs> 
This is the grossest right. scene. It's right? like borderline him being like, "Why aren't you in my place right now?" Yeah, yeah. he doesn't say that. So. What does he say? What do you say? We talk about it over dinner later, and uh, you give me your files. And she's on. like, "No." Yeah, and he's like. Uh, no means maybe. Like, it's, like, <laughs> deeply uncomfortable. You're like, uh, sir, no. It's one of those scenes that doesn't, like, yeah, it, it just translates very differently three decades later where you're like, not, fuck, I mean, this is not, not okay. Not seducing her. Kind of seductive for me personally, but I get <laughs> it. Like, it kind of works. It's like, I'd, pr- I'd probably say, sure. We'll give it a, give it a soft maybe. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't say no to like, a drink with young Let's go for a sandwich. Yeah. Hank, can you a imagine sandwich? <laughs> a sandwich? A Since I don't really drink, so I'm just like, let's go for a sandwich and a Pepsi. And a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> and Pepsi. <laughs> He's like, I take back my statement. <laughs> um, yeah. So they send off Linda and Sam to go uh, to go find Hobbs End. Uh, this is the I think one of the, the you know the first trippy part of the movie, right? Of uh, as they're switching back and forth between drivers. Um, yeah. Linda went, witnesses all of the, the the initial trippy things happening on the the, the country roads as they're going off to Hobbs End, um, like the highway disappearing and seeing that bicycler uh, paperboy first ride by them and then become very old and then they hit him with a car um that, that sequence goes on for a long time that's a yeah it's our first indication that like time and space are being warped though um because they keep driving in one direction but the bicycler comes out of different directions yeah. and stuff and is changes form into like a grotesque like old hag or something in a weird way um the tunnel they drive through to get to Hobbs End does it not look like the bridge that they die on in Beetlejuice? It remind it Ooh. reminded me of yeah, that, like for that's sure. A good it definitely spot. reminded me. I don't me of know. That. I don't. It has yeah. the same. I, I assume it's just like if under Beetlejuice the Beetlejuice shot in Ontario, then odds are really high. Oh yeah, because they shot almost all of it in Ontario. Yeah. Huh. That's when. I mean, all right, now I pulled my phone out, and now I'm kind of like, yeah. I don't know. Um, which also like yeah, it was just a nice little. Nice little uh, nugget if that if there is any relation to because it kind of fits into the idea of trying to you know in beetle just when they try to escape the house and they just get teleported back into yeah. it immediately like they have no way to to temporally or like spatially escape you know their situation yeah, pretty much like being transported but to the mm-hmm. exact same place that you started it at so. yeah um but on the drive i think you know they start to establish vermont, vermont and ah. that makes sense. sorry uh but they start to establish some of like the main themes in the movie too when they talk about like reality right linda yeah. is sort of establishing this idea that like why she's like why do i like horror it's like i like to be scared and i like and then also the conversation about um her quote is reality is just what we say it is right uh which is something that will kind of like drive the idea of like sutter kane's relationship with right. the, the universe of this this movie as it goes on um and it's like really really weird like it's that whole yeah spookiness you can manifest it anywhere right yeah um but being in control of like, or like your perception of reality is 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 what decides what reality actually is. Is like very like I don't know like you mean interesting yeah. thoughts or whatever. Um, I mean, it's like bordering on simulation theory. Essentially, yeah, right. is like, um, what if we're not real? What if we're like somebody else? Like, what if we're somebody else's mind? Mm-hmm. Like, we're just the figments of somebody else's imagination, we're which is Lovecraftian in, yeah. in its own way. Um, comprehending your own existence can be kind of a. Uh, solipsistic activity it begins and ends with the self so it's like a closed loop mm-hmm. um there's i did a bunch i studied a little bit of that kind of like that idea philosophy when i was in high school um and so like they even reference like i think therefore i am it's yeah like, you it think says, therefore i am yeah he says i write therefore you are or something yeah or i think therefore you are right right, right. Like the, it's uh, like the, the quote later on yeah um 
if anyone's curious, and I'm sure not sure anyone who's listening to a horde podcast is, but I remember talking to some friends who are into this idea. Um, and Rene Descartes, a famous French philosopher, said like um, that if you're, why would you be able to exist and be able to doubt your existence? Like that proves that you're self-thinking, self-possessed, and uh, thinking enough that you can't exist inside somebody else's head if you were to doubt your own existence. Um, and so it's like self-doubt is the underlying proof that you uh, are your own person, like you exist in your own reality. Um, and then like obviously there's like a lot of like postmodernism, like everyone is their own. Rea- there is no objective truth. Like your your every reality you experience is your own, and everybody's just like bouncing off each other. Anyways, <laughs> how's that for a bucket of thoughts? Man, I dig it. I was just like so entranced over here, like. It is interesting. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, that like Sutter Kane's kind of getting to this too a little bit, but his is a little a little oblique. But there's just like, you know, you only know what you experience. It's like you literally cannot get inside someone else's head, and so it limits like your reality. And at that point, you're uh, you're just left trying to like figure out if what you're like if your reality meshes. Did we see the same thing? Kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like piggybacking off of like what you guys said. Even like whenever Styles. I think it's like right before the right before she sees the bicyclist and she's talking to Trent. She says the sane and the insane can could easily switch places. Right, right. The and line that's when she thin. starts like talking about like what is reality? Mm-hmm. Is this our reality? But you're saying your reality doesn't like mix up like with right. this reality. So it like becomes this whole like right. Yeah, this whole mixture of things. And I'm like you know something styles <laughs> and i mean yeah even even the foreshadowing as she's speaking with him and she says you know you never know you could end up in a padded room all by yourself yeah, and right. i'm like excuse me ma'am like what are you saying to me right now which like, is we'll get to it because she's yeah. she's read the novel yeah what's funny though is that at that point in the story we assume that she's still trying to so what we learn here shortly right is that they they were committing like a little bit of a scheme right to sort of promote the movie or the book yeah they the go idea. to the town mm-hmm. and find all these spooky things happening uh-huh. and then sam neil's like all right the jig's up you guys this is a fucking show like you just want me to go back tell the press some crazy shit happened in a made-up town you paid a bunch of actors he's like they're all actors like he's like uh you made this shit up and she's like she's like you're half right we did (laughs) but we didn't make all of it up yeah this is just weird stuff on top we were supposed to drive out here and find nothing and we found something yeah and like because they get to the town and they start looking around and basically linda is explaining that everything that they're seeing up to the hotel yeah she's like quoting the books yeah she's like this is in the book uh, even to the point where he's like, no, if this was in the book, I would look out this window and there would be a big church over there. And she's like, no, you just suck at reading. It's this window. Yeah, and she like, opens the window. It was to the east. You illiterate yeah. moron. It's like, what you get for listening to the audiobook. Uh, That's why like Sam Neill's the only one who would survive at the end of this movie. Like He literally doesn't give a shit yeah, about reading. He's like, reading. I don't want to consume mass media. Man, I, let me get, let's get back to this thought at the end of the movie because I was laughing like, that shit would never fly these days. Nobody fucking reads books like that anymore. <laughs> But at least they did make a movie out of it, though. Yeah. They find a way around it. I was it. like, could it be a TikTok? 
Could could there be the, the, that is the the that, virality the idea of like a viral idea yeah it's this um, whole yeah like to go back to you know that term we keep you like the memetic horror thing that we keep using yeah. over and over again of uh, in like you know the ring and in yeah. in city or in a uh, sinister and in um, uh, smile and yeah but um, <clears throat> so this movie he he like calls him out and she's like yes and mm-hmm. we didn't plan any of this <laughs> this shit's not supposed to be here. The uh the so the creepier the creepiest things in like this uh, little section here right we get the the old lady who is the proprietor of the hotel who in the books like has chopped up her husband and murdered him right yeah so that kind of you're like expecting that to happen at any moment uh, and then that painting in the hotel lobby where it it gradually changes forms and it like comes to life at one point like in on screen um as San, or as linda's looking at it the, the yeah. heads of a couple in front of the a painted version of the church like turn around um what do we think of this like church too like the church is in itself is it's supposed to be like the seat of a of an ancient evil essentially that was like paved over and the new church was put there um it's very confusing to me yeah that, i mean i guess it makes sense that but the um the like onion dome they kind of call them they're like the you'll see them a lot in, like you think russian cathedrals it's yeah. like that classic onion it's a, like a byzantine church like yeah. so it's like a orthodox but, eastern european yeah that would make like, it that would make it an orthodox yeah. church but they have a confessional and the interior has like big <laughs> yeah. catholic vibes it so does mix a couple of it's uh, actually it mixes the two some of the two oldest forms of christianity yeah. in a way that like I think they would be upset about. I don't. I oh, mean, they get oh, mad I'm about. Sure they would be, aside yeah. from being in that movie at yeah. all, they'd be mad. But like, it's kind of ironic because they're just uh, like that's they're like the worst of both, or I don't know. Yeah, it's a cool. I think it's a cool set piece too, though. Or like, maybe it just speaks to the unreality that is the. Church. Yeah, they read about like as the, that whole backstory of it is like is it comes out in a, like a very dense reading that Linda is, is making of the book of yeah. Sutter Kane's book as they're walking up the hill towards it and then like suddenly a goon squad of like like a posse shows up right it's like and, almost cartoonish yeah they like pull out of nowhere in these like pickup trucks with shotguns and shit and you're like oh no our heroes are in danger but no it turns out that they're trying to come rescue a small boy from the church yeah little Jimmy little Johnny little, yeah, yeah like, little Johnny boy <laughs> little Johnny boy <laughs> and he appears in the doorway of the church and then like Sutter, we get our first shots of Sutter Kane appearing too he's like I got your boy man that uh, scene right Right there, like yeah, like the doors opening, closing, opening, closing, yeah. and then the reveal of Sutter Kane. I was like, oh, holy fuck! Yeah, he's so. also got a bunch of Dobermans too that come out. Um, like a mini army that then assault these. Yeah, they chase the, the they chase everybody mob. off. Yeah. Um, we also get our, our shots of uh, Vigo uh, from Ghostbusters. Yes, uh, <laughs> coming in. Um, yeah, Jurgen Prochnow, the uh, is it Prochnow, Prochnow? Uh, he's the actor who plays Sutter Prochnow. Kane. Prochnow. I don't know. Yeah, um, he's in the boat in 1981. It's got Luke Heinrich Lehman. Uh, he's in Dune as uh, Duke Leto Atreides uh, in the 1984 in the, Dune. The, the that's not the Lynch one, right? Uh, the 1984 Dune. Okay. I don't know. That's yeah. the Lynch one, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, he's cool. in Dust Boot, and he's Dust also Boot. in Judge Dredd as Judge Griffin. Uh, Which uh, Michael DeLuca wrote the 95 Judge Dredd. All these wires getting crossed. It's, it all goes back to DeLuca. It all, I think so many things just go back to DeLuca uh, in a weird way. Uh, yeah, this is kind of where things just start going off the rails, right? Because uh, Linda gets roped into the 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 church and she gets she, hypnotized, like, basically. bails on um, 
John Trent. John Trent yeah. leaves him behind to go check out the church because she's seen a glimpse of Sutter Kane. And she has like a nightmarish uh, confrontation with him where we were talking, like you were talking about where she like, he makes her read the end of the book. And yeah. You're like, oh shit, she's gone. Yeah. Like her, there's like a little bit of blood drops like out of the corner of her eyes. Like she's cried blood. Yeah. It's like whenever you witness the, the finish, like the move, right? The special move that Sutter Kane has when he, ever he just grabs somebody's head and like <laughs> just, forces their face. That's his mortal of the combat book. KO. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, Cause it's like his book is almost like on a, like an overhead projector or whatever. It's yeah. like lit from below. And he's like, take a look at this. And he like pushes her head down into the pages. And then she's immediately like hypnotized or entranced yeah. and or uh, affected by the book. And then she's, she's just forever his, like, She's his his zombie or whatever. Yeah, she's part of the part of the horde now. Part of the we. But, yeah, uh, and that's and that's what she says. She's like she somehow gets teleported back to the hotel room because he he's been off looking for her and stuff. Right. And there's that scene where she comes, she bursts back into the hotel room after being like teleported there, and she says, "I'm losing me. I'm losing it." I'm but losing in a, a weird job. voice. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I, I was also just was like, like, why did happening? her voice like? change it's very like i'm losing myself i was just like what is going on here yeah there's a weird inflection like her the the evolution of her as a monster for the next like couple of sequences is like really bizarre too because he doesn't ever it takes him a while to fully abandon her right there's a really big like evil dead energy here where it's like like, clocks her in the face oh my god yeah (laughs) that whole scene like Outside of the car, inside mm-hmm. of the car. He just, like, fisticuffs her right across the chin and knocks her well, out. No, she punches him first, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, he's, like, confronting her. He's like, we need to leave. We need to get the fuck out of here right now, right? And she just, like, punches him. And he's like, what the fuck? And he just punches her right back. <laughs> yeah. Like, Drags knocks her, her out. into the car, <laughs> yeah. then punches her again. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, God damn it. The shit I have to deal with. It's like, go to fucking sleep until we get home. Yeah, yeah he manages to hot wire the car and, like, a try to get away, right? He, like, yeah. that's... The, uh, that goes on for some time when he's like trying to drive out of the town and the road just keeps teleporting him back into the middle yeah. of town into the the front of that that horde um we do miss the the so like at a certain point in the movie the entire town is running amok like with hatchets and stuff yeah um, basically she freaks out like gets teleported to the hotel and john's like all right fuck this we're out and then on his way out he runs into an angry mob they're gonna kill him and then she turns on him hence the punching throws her in the car and then we get this like wash rinse repeat where he keeps trying to escape it doesn't work until finally he's like fuck it i'll just drive through these fuckers and tries to go like plow through them and instead they like all get out of the way and then it's just linda it's just linda and immediately she like he crashes his car. Yeah, he gets um, in that whole middle sequence. Uh, there, we get the whole thing with the uh, <clears throat> the old lady uh, becoming more and oh, more yeah. sinister. Right, he comes downstairs and she's like cussing at him and shit, uh, make, making him put out his cigarette. After he's like, he's left Linda upstairs, presumably, so he can go downstairs and like sort shit out and that's where she, she's like her her husband's like handcuffed to her ankle she's yeah. like kicking him trying to get him to shut up um i like and just like him going down to smoke is like what you were talking about how carpenter will make it like very normal it'll yeah, be like a like, like a chill okay. moment i feel like this movie every chill moment was just a smoke break yeah like every He's time something crazy would happen a cigarette. he'd be like <laughs> i need a cigarette like walk outside smoke one cigarette and then be like all right, they walk back inside and like shit's hitting the fan. Yeah, it's again. just like something horribly fucked up. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. I was like, oh, that's why. Carpenter was like, uh, do you smoke? And Sam Neill's like, I, no, I guess. He's like, you do now because I need some chill moments in this movie. Yeah, for we sure. We needed a refrain. Like, yeah. Uh, just an easy thing to cut back to Something every time. to break the pace up. Yeah. But the, that does that is when shit starts hitting the fan because that's whenever uh, old lady morphs into the tentacle monster. And you get like flash cuts back and forth. Between, and, but she's like, like axing uh her husband's tentacles who's tentacled to her yeah it was everybody's just yeah. mutating and gross and it's reflected by the painting in the in the lobby of the hotel room yeah. too because the two humans that were in the painting have now been disfigured and turned into like amorphous blob hell creatures. yeah they're turning into show goths like of course essentially um yeah so like the whole thing happens um in the bar too where he goes back to the bar and vigo is there uh oh, and, yeah. and there's kind of a little bit of exposition of, of like vigo's character explains to trent that you know there's an evil that sutter um messed with or like awakened that uh, yeah. now is infecting everybody else um and that's why he like blows his brains out with a shotgun um and then the whole sequence with he um, even says i'm supposed to do this because sutter yeah he, he wrote, wrote me this, this way. way yeah like yeah and then he shoots himself like oh. yeah great and that's the first instance because that that starts to come back like periodically as um as like the rest of the events occur like even when they're trying to get when they're trying to get away in the car um linda's like leaning over like trying to uh she's like i'm trying to kiss you he's he's like stop don't do that he's like no no means no and she's like i have to kiss you and uh deeply ironic sam this john trent character but he, she's like, I do this because Sutter has written this. Like, they start being like, I do it because he wrote it. Yeah. Um, so after he crashes the car, this is when he appears in the confessional booth that yeah. you mentioned a minute ago. Um, the rest of this is sort of like his, um, yeah, his his coming face to face with, with the, uh, the mouth of madness, essentially. Um, they kind of had this long conversation about like, the nature of reality and about like him controlling it and about like religion and yeah. stuff. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, Trent is still trying to like rationalize it though. He's like, this is, this is a con somehow. There's God, I, love, I love him so much yeah. for it. Even towards the end, he's just like, this is a fucking scam. Like I'm going to figure out all of it. Like Trent, please. I love when he says, he's like, I know me. I am me. Like he just keeps repeating. Like I know me. I know reality. Nobody pulls my strings. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm. Kind of thing. But yeah, this is like the whole conversation between them um, is, is where we get the, like we're, we're, Sutter establishes says you know when people lose the ability to know the difference between fantasy and reality, uh, the old ones will f- will find their way back, and it gets it gets as Lovecraftian as possible um, for the remainder of the movie, where he's like basically explaining that the the book gains its power through new readers and through new people perceiving it. Um, it's that whole thing with that mimetic horror of of right. it, it it gains you know strength from from being known and being witnessed or whatever. Um, and there's that that's where that quote is i think therefore you are um yeah because it's like implied that sutter kane is writing um john trent like he like john trent doesn't exist outside because sutter kane wrote him in and mm-hmm. that's when he, he starts to fight back like no 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 i'm a real person wait a minute i this am is not reality yeah i am not a character in a fictional story yeah, yeah. you are just crazy yeah like it's kind of his pitch and uh it's so funny i love it too because uh, sutter kane says it and he kind of fights back, and then Sutter's like, "That's the way I wrote it." Kind of, and then he just looks at him, and you can just see Sam Neill like really trying to be strong. But it's like if if I had said like somebody was like, "You're just a figment of my imagination," I'd be like, mm, "That's not true. I'm real." But they stared at me like the way he did, like just real serious for like ten full seconds. I'd be like, 
wait what yeah then you would start contemplating yeah like, i'd be like wait oh, a minute man, what is a- this am i yeah yeah there's maybe because there's this next scene where sutter kane opens like the gaping portal into the like the mouth of madness right and as um he says he's been like holding them at bay for a yeah, while. Yeah, he says I can't. My new publishers, I can't hold them back any longer. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, like, as Sam Neill's character goes and looks into like the pits of the, the abyss or whatever, Linda is like behind him, like reading like, the manuscript from it. Yeah. Of of the very you know prosaic thing, which of is him. word for word from a Lovecraft, a couple of Lovecraft, like all the quotes from the actual mm-hmm. novel, like quotes from different Lovecraft short stories. Mm-hmm. You can tell because they're really wordy. Yeah, like <laughs> if you liked that monologue, like that's his that's his style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there, there's that that giant corridor, right? And this is where we get that that wall of monsters appears in that scene yeah. where uh, he's like running down the corridor. She gives him the manuscript. Yeah, because it's now his mission, like to to go and deliver the manuscript uh, to the publishers and have it be like released yeah. to the world, essentially. Um, yeah, this is like where yeah that wall of monsters is is fantastic here. Where like through they do a really good job of obscuring them in darkness and making them very like you know that was the thing I like I when I watched it I was thinking like oh mm-hmm. Carpenter does a really great job of sh- not showing us stuff mm-hmm. is I think one of the things that we can do because of our computer tech is like build these crazy things we want to show people and I'm like oh Carpenter realizes like. Uh, when he's at the bar and the guy kills himself, we never see the actual like bullet head cranial explosion. It's just like we watch someone else watch it, but he can show us like tentacles and stuff. So he has like a mastery of when to show us the stuff and when to give us like pieces of it. Like we see detail work of the costumes or like, you know, tiny little like visual effect moments or silhouettes, which are always just, especially when they're like tentacly and they like, change form while you're watching the silhouette i thought it was like a masterwork in um in like what to show and when to show it kind of thing there's also some really cool like so the remainder of this movie right is him sort of like trying to unravel his own reality again because he gets teleported back to the real world and yeah like, hitching rides back to the city yeah talking to yeah. some old lady on the bus and then like sutter Kane appears and makes everything blue for a second there's <laughs> a, so a, a funny story i haven't double checked this but i was reading later when sutter Kane says my favorite color is blue someone had posted trivia that said like when they do deep uh like real tight close-ups of every face everyone's, everyone's eyes, eyes are blue, are blue. yeah because his favorite color is blue. Because his favorite color is blue. And I did not double check that. But I want to believe, so I'm going to pretend that's yeah. true. No, I think here. so. I think at least, like, whenever it's anybody wearing, like, the contacts. Right. Like, they're, they have, like, the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, But that was just, like, a detail. It's like that thing... We'll get we'll get to this idea at the end. Just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I mean, the movie. Yeah. So essentially, he goes back. He makes it. He he tries to go to like a like a county courthouse or something and like find the town of Hobbs End and people keep calling him crazy. Um, he gets like more and more irritated. Yeah. Uh, he makes he it stops all... being sexy Sam. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Angry Sam. Angry Sam. Sam. <laughs> um, he makes it all the way back to the publishing house. He's talking to Charlton Heston again, uh, and he's explained his story. And Charlton Heston's like, "That's an amazing story. You should write that up, and I'll publish it for you." Um, uh, and uh, but he also has no memory of Linda. Charlton Heston's character is like you talked about this Linda person. I supposedly sent you with. There is I, no style. I specifically spent you sent you on your own. I remember doing it. Uh, and Sam explains that it's because Linda was written out of the book, uh, which is also a really cool. I don't know. It's a bizarre thing to think about. Right. Like, um, 
and he's like, well, he's, uh, he, he wanted me to deliver the manuscript, uh, but I couldn't. I didn't do it. And he's like, well, I'm glad you did, though, because you did several months ago. The book has been published for like seven weeks. In fact, the movie's coming out in a month. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck? Uh, so yeah. This is weird time dilation that happens. Uh, Which is like uh, Lovecraft does that a lot in his short stories. So you'll be like, oh, there's hope. Like maybe mm-hmm. the protagonist can forestall this inevitable conclusion. And <laughs> Lovecraft will be like, that shit's already happened. Yeah. Like the bad stuff's already happening. Like there is no escape. There, it's all death and misery. What's fun is like even before the all the events of like their journey to Hobbs End and stuff go on. Right at the beginning of the movie, even uh, the radio broadcast that we constantly hear in the background or the TV in the background is a, a, a news anchor uh, telling that there has been an outbreak of violent attacks of like mass murders and stuff. They call it. Uh... What is it? Mass like a, schizophrenia, like an ep- a schizophrenia uh, epidemic of schizophrenia or something? Yeah, it's like mass paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, which is it, not a thing. No, but it, it's also like interesting that it happens before even like the circle back around to the end of the movie, right? Yeah. It's like the idea that the books are already like messing with people who are who are like. Yeah, we start the them. movie with by like them mentioning that people mm-hmm. are like clamoring to get their hands on the latest novel and mm-hmm. like fighting each other in lines at the bookstore. And I think it's funny. There's like the uh, in the background on the radio, they talk about how like there's like an outbreak of like clergymen like committing mass murders and stuff oh, and fighting yeah. each other. And then um, eventually Sam Neill goes and like to a, a local bookstore where he sees a little, like a kid walking out who has just bought, you know, one of the books. And he's, he's like mid book. He's reading the book. Yeah. He's got blood streaming down from his eyeballs and his, his eyes are mutated. Like you yeah. know, everybody, everybody else's are. Uh, and he's, he asks him, he says, do you read Sutter Kane? And he's like, of course I do. And he's like, well, this shouldn't come as a surprise. And he whips out an axe out of nowhere and oh, fucking murders yeah. him, I guess. Like hatchets him in the head. Yeah, too. yeah. which is what puts him, that, that's what gets him into the uh, insane asylum. And here we are, full circle. Yeah. Um, and so the, that's that's when, like, at the end of the movie, Dr. Ren poses the question of, like, you know, do you think it's already begun? And, like, Sam uh, Sam Neill's character is like, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get way worse out there. It's probably safer in here now. Um, these last couple of sequences is where more stuff happens off screen where you just hear the noises out in the hallway. And there's like some spooky silhouettes, mm-hmm. but nothing crazy. The end of this movie is very uh, 28 days later for me. I watched um, it. I, you know, I was thinking about it as like, how do you effectively frame the emptiness of like a busy world? Like, how yeah. does he, how do you make it look like the world like just up and disappeared? Cause he does, he does this wide shot of when Sam Neill is leaving the, uh, the asylum, I guess. And it's perfectly posed because there's just like two cars and a bunch of papers all over the ground. And then he passes by like an ambulance with an open door is like, it, you know, it's a really clever, cheap way to do it is all you need are like two cars and ambulance and a yeah. bunch of like fake papers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crumpled up paper. And yeah. Way. Yeah. But like, you need to have a big shot to make it feel like there was something here and now there's not. And even before that leading into like, as he exits his, so like there's lots of banging that goes on outside the hallway of his, you know, yeah. prison cell. Uh, and there's like a disembodied hand you know, right. That appears uh, in the window of his, uh, of the door of his prison cell. Um, and then some weird ominous, like, figures behind him um and he uh when he walks out the door there's like giant gashes in the wall like as if you know the shogoth monsters have come and like yeah. eaten everybody as um, if the velociraptors were trying to get their yeah. way through the, through the doors as okay this is completely unrelated uh so i watched the shining on 4k at alamo draft house on monday oh yeah uh, for halloween right I'm it so was jelly. fucking Hell awesome yeah. Um, it was great to see that on a big screen, but there's something I never realized that the, uh, that dra- 
Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park has a Shining reference in it. Um, huh. So in uh, at the end of The Shining, whenever uh, Danny is running away from from uh, Jack Nicholson, um, when he's like one of the very last sequences where he's hiding from him, he goes into the kitchen and hides in one of the cupboards and slides the metal door across, oh. just like the little kids do in uh, Jurassic Park when they're running from the Velociraptors. Yeah, I was like, I caught that on Monday, and I was like, oh fuck, I forgot. Like I've never caught that reference before. Damn. Um, a lot of horror goes back to The Shining. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, so like when he goes out into the hallway of the asylum too, it's completely empty and there's like, you know, like random papers and shit everywhere. Uh, but yeah, it's straight out of Danny Boyle. It reminds me of that Killian Murphy walking yeah. the streets of London. And it's just like there's something about a hospital being abandoned where you're like, oh, this is this. Things are bad if this is the way the state right. of affairs. Yeah, because right? that's supposed to be like the safe place. <clears throat> yeah. He even but he goes and walks down the street of like, you know, the, the city street where the, the movie theater is. Which and, I love this movie. Did you love the poster? Yes, too? The, it drove me. So the poster laughing. of the movie in the mouth of madness within this movie has all of the credits of the actual it's a John Carpenter film it has the credits New Line Cinema release yeah of the actual cast just with John Trent and Linda Stiles included Uh, which is wild because John Trent the character did not like he wasn't on a shoot making this movie there just is a movie that apparently features an actor named John Trent who's playing this guy who's a fake you're like wait what it's even my like, brain broke it starts to break even earlier on yeah like, though, whenever he was like before he kills that kid at the bookstore right the poster in the window looks is, exactly is him. him yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the, the most famous shot of the movie, though, where he goes and sits in the movie theater and begins watching the earlier scenes of the movie he we just watched. the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And and he starts to fucking lose it. He just cracks and starts laughing and crying at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and that's the nihilistic end of this movie. It's very kind of bleak uh, in a way. Yeah. Uh, oh, there we go. That was it. That was a reminder. Yeah. This Oops. movie is over. <laughs> that was the end of the movie. Fucking get out. Uh, yeah, going back to some of our discussion on Carpenter's influence on, on like on this genre, I think it's worth talking about his perspective on modern horror. Kind of we touched on this a little bit earlier. Um where he's so Carpenter's like inexorably tied to the horror genre and it's fascinating to look at like the last two decades of, of the drought of Carpenter movies, uh, and what perspective he may have on like kind of like the newest wave of horror uh, that we referenced in our uh, our last episode, particularly when we talked about Suspiria and quote unquote art horror or elevated horror. Um, I like art horror more. Yeah. I think it's, a, I understand the idea when you really go back through like what we really think of as like the beginning of, of the art horror horror. It's not like a new thing. It's just right. sort of like a cyclical, you know, sort of like even in his own time, what's one of the cool meta things about this movie is, um, John Carpenter is is famous for better or not as as being seen as a um, a uh, like a master of a of a of a of a hack genre right right like a master of of a lower form of art um, which you can argue is like what Sutter Kane is in this movie right right it's the idea of like you know the main character of this movie is constantly bashing his art and his work as being you know cheap garbage that nobody should read or like look at and then in a weird like meta or full circle way that master of a cheap you know art form becomes like the god of the world that he lives in the universe that he's portrayed in or whatever um and so this weird like cyclical thing that happens about that but it's interesting though because like even within that whenever you ask um carpenter about like even at the time these movies are being made or much later on, um, 
when Carpenter talks about making scary movies, he talks so plainly about th- these things and about how like when you when you're asked to, when Carpenter says like when you're asked to to make a scene um, and make it scary, um, the the primary goal should be to make you know to scare your audience and to thrill them and to uh, to, right. to engage them with the thing that you're watching. Um, he, the idea of like you know there's clearly like a theme in this movie like there's the, this idea of uh, you know the driving a message of, of like the absurdity of uh, of media or like things that you consume yeah um, turning people evil right the idea that you know it, this is coming in 1990, 1994 1995 right out right on the you know in in one of the, the hotter periods of like the satanic panic and shit um, and yeah. stuff that like we continue to deal with in the last couple of decades of like you know violent movies or video games turning people you know into these evil violent monsters right and so there is an underlying like current of that like you know what you know how absurd that is and how you know what it what it looks like when you take that to its like extreme and like what what is a bizarre version of that um and even though that message is there and like when you ask carpenter about it though he says you know that's that's all well and good and it's it's good if an audience member like gets that but that shouldn't be the first thing like he says if that's the first thing that my audience thinks of when they see a movie then i'm kind of like they're, they're missing the point or I'm not doing a good right. job because the first thing they should be thinking is like, oh, I'm scared. Like, yeah. oh, this is a fun, this is an experience and a scary thing that's happening or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's bizarre to me. We were talking about this too. Is like, does everything have to have a meaning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because yeah. um, I laugh because I just saw the new Scream and there's like a lot of jokes about the new generation. Oh. Yeah. The, uh, they're like, I don't like old I, horror. Yeah. I like elevated I, horror. Yeah. Jenna Ortega's like, she name drops they hereditary. Make her, yeah, they make them <laughs> sound insufferable. They're like, it's like yeah. movies, but where they like have commentary on important social issues. Everything is a trauma metaphor. Right. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, like... Like we had talked about, like that is a thing people enjoy, but at the end of the day, like it's just got to do what it's got to do. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, yeah, I don't have to uh, label a horror film, and I and I understand why now in today's age, uh, people have to have a label for every single thing, especially yeah. horror. But I'm just like I, I don't, I don't have to have it be elevated horror. I don't have to have it yeah. like folklore horror, like just just something that I can like take myself away for like an hour plus and right. if it excites me then great awesome yeah, yeah yeah um and I like to I think too a lot of these filmmakers that, that get credited for making elevated yeah. horror um like some you know some people I think Jordan Peele is a great example um I'm reading the screenplay for Get Out and all his oh, notes yeah, yeah. are like I started this screenplay as like just a fun idea and then I just started <laughs> writing and was like crying because I was realizing all the trauma I was processing but in like a lot of instances you know those are all you know um fans of the genre and they are trying to accomplish those things it's almost like a bad faith audience or critic reading is like you wrote something so good and it has so much to say that we like we come away with the message and it's awesome but you're such a good filmmaker people are starting to mistake the forest for the tre- like the forest yeah. for the trees is like oh i only want to watch this movie because it's going to be about like uh, i saw movies but i remember getting recommended this movie they're like if you like jordan peele like race relations commentary horror and i was like I mean, that's a great way to approach it because now people have that idea, but I don't like, I don't want to, I worry that it's like too specific of a niche and too high of a watermark in a lot of ways.
yeah. Sunday and I think scares. the other thing that like even you know with other filmmakers like in other people of the A24 or you know camp or right. whatever like Ari Astri it's like the idea of um, like having a, a driving theme or like something or like some sort of like uh, thematic subtext or right. like emotional subtext of the movie in almost as a way to uh, like legitimize the horror genre and try right. to make it as like it, it's it's almost as if it's saying you know hor- horror is inherently like a sub like a right below you know the dramatic and like other right. other forms of cinema and stuff and so these attempts to like rebrand it as as elevated horror or as something that's more artistic are trying to sort of like you know they're they, it's almost like a, like a backhanded compliment, right? Where right. It's like, it's like, oh, well, the genre is fine the way it is. And, like, there are, you know, it, there's a spectrum of really great movies within this genre. Right. Um, and they don't necessarily have to belong to what, you know, like, even, like, the filmmakers aren't don't have to be setting out to achieve this goal of, like, legitimizing their, their movies right. um, through the lens of what has historically been right. sort of exclusive, like, to the horror genre. And I think that's, like, what, I don't know, I th- like, it's it's so great to look at movies like this and to look at a director like Carpenter where you're like this movie's fucking amazing and it yeah. has themes in it that are interesting that you can read into but like, it also just slaps man. yeah, yeah. That's not the primary goal because the primary goal is that, yeah, is, is Carpenter's like, I just want you to fucking dig like what's right. going on on the screen because this is a visual media and like it's you there's know. there's like a lot of lessons in screenwriting is like don't approach a story from theme. It's mm-hmm. like if you approach Stephen King says this too in his book on writing, he's like, I never think of theme when I write something, mm-hmm. I write and then I think of I find the theme within it because yeah. I tend to hover around one idea when I'm focusing on a story. And I think uh, an audience approaching a movie from the beginning by thinking of theme is like a dangerous way to read a movie. Um, and and, and then like one of those really funny ways, it's like it can it can be virtue signaling. Like people can be like, oh, I don't watch this because it's not about race yeah. relations. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, you're missing out. Yeah. Like that's the worst possible version of it is people like neglect stuff because it's not that. I think but that's that was one, one of the biggest things is like, like with- all the best elevated horror, like all these things. You know, they can be um, like they can just be their filmmakers trying to make this specific vision. I, mm-hmm. Like they also probably are not starting with I want this to be this theme. I want to tell this really interesting story, which is why I was like I was going to add like a twenty four. It's not just their horror movies that are like that. It's all of their movies. Their goal they hold they started this whole thing is like I want to introduce like the most unique perspectives that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like their larger point is, and people kind of miss that for us for the trees is like, Oh, I only love a 24 films. And I'm like, okay, but you are also like, yeah. you're like niching yourself in a point yeah, where you're, you're going to mi- miss some you're stuff. Mis- you're missing out. Like if you're just yeah. going for a 24 like films, right. Because there's so much. That more crowd always there. upsets me because yeah. they'll be like, Oh, well, and it's a big crowd <laughs> and it, but yeah. they're a very vocal crowd, yes. but it's <laughs> vocal. Yes. But it's not in, on an a 24s part. It's just, they get painted as the antithesis of yeah. like blockbuster cinema. So yeah, they become I, the, like I, the I refuge for ironically though people. too, because yeah. like so many other movies are some of the most successful, like, yeah, know, like in, in some ways, I guess maybe not like finance, but like yeah. Bloomhouse, I, I don't yeah. hear anybody being like, Oh, I'm a Bloomhouse kid. Yeah. You know? And I'm, like Damn, okay, no, but I want to label myself that. But I'll say this: Bloomhouse Bloom runs guy. the gamut of stuff. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're not like it's not. And I, like, they do I've never interest- met a Bloomhouse fan that's snobby. Yeah, you know? yeah they do have introspective and cool stuff, but they also have you know like like the Saw franchise and like stuff. yeah, they, they clearly love the genre for yeah. what it is, and A24 loves the filmmakers for what they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. It's like 
they you know they're always going to find something really unique and yes everyone should watch that kind of unique stuff and like push themselves but do not make your like entire personality this like whole thing which i like john carpenter is even like i don't understand that idea like it's all just kind of horror right isn't that what he says yeah it says are you the he was asked by the interviewer are you familiar with the phrase elevated horror he replied i don't know what that means i mean i can guess what it means but i don't really know uh pressed again about the movies like ariosters midsommar and hereditary he said i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) me (laughs) (laughs) fucking goat that man just went like old he chose the old dad route he was like oh your friend gordon you're like i don't have a friend named gordon he just did that on elevated horror you know ari aster like i don't what which one is that which one but it's the same thing with like i think what you're talking about with uh going into a movie expecting a certain theme and trying to like have it and trying to like connect the dots for it like that was wanting to that was i think for a lot of of people one of the most complicated things about the reception of nope when it came out too right where it's like like you said with jordan people people were going into this movie to like see what lesson about race relations jordan was going to teach them this week without fail i have like every single person that's talked to me about nope they're like yeah when i went in i was really expecting more and I'm like, what were you expecting? And they're like, yeah, I just thought there'd be a lot more about them being like, you know, black horse family owners in a white industry. And I was like, it's like it was what? in there. The it movie was, was amazing. It was yeah. that was the premise of the movie. And then yeah. there was other stuff that happened. And I and like what you said. Like yeah. it's it's also this is the larger thing is it's not Jordan Peele's job to teach you no. about how fucked up things are. Like yeah. no. he should be able to just make a movie and we should take it for what it is yeah. that's yeah. A, that that, the, that movie the re- the criticism and reception around that movie was very or like i guess what the industry what the critical industry like you know journalism has done around him maybe has been a little unfair and like being being like you are you are now responsible for creating some of the most like right like you know thematically thematically driven and like you and know, he deep movies owns or whatever. that his production company owns that idea like yeah. the uh, monkey paw they're interested in those kinds of talking about or mm-hmm. pushing or at least getting people of color into this kind of like horror space so right. when you see monkey paw like the new Candyman. Mm-hmm. um you know they they're behind like a bunch of stuff but it's just interesting but i think more of that too is also just about making sure that that people who have been historically underrepresented in the industry get the you know on the back end get the get the work and the time that they deserve versus like had maybe you know having the movies actually be about those topics and those topics can't be separated from you know the scripts and the stories of the movies when you're making them but like it's also not the movies like it's just like when we talked about um we talked about smile, right? Yeah. And the idea of like, okay, it's not a horror movie's job to teach you about mental health. And like, sometimes it's just, you know, you, at the end of the day, you got to watch a movie and then process it the way you will. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to look at though. And I think it's the, the perspective that Carpenter has on it of, I like to make interesting movies yeah. that have fun stuff going on in them. Uh, or at least at the time, you know, he hasn't made a movie since the ward, but right. Um, but I feel like too, like, our instincts to judge people like off of all this stuff uh, is kind of misguided because like at the end of the day if you like what you like i can't get mad at you like i can't get mad at people who just i'll be happy if anybody watches a horror movie Mm -hmm. like i really do have to ask for that um and i think it's probably fair i think i just worry when like you refuse to watch things i'm like no, no 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 don't pigeonhole yourself like this you should really give it a shot yeah. The only thing, other thing I think is like when your enjoyment of like something you is definitely tempered. give Carpenter a shot. If yeah. I hear someone say I won't watch Carpenter, I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah. Or when your enjoyment of something is tempered by your expectation that it's you know it, it's supposed to check that box for you rather than just being an experience. Right. Of you refuse it. to take it for what it is yeah. and try to make it like something you thought it was gonna be. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy No for being an awesome monster movie because that's what it is. That's I know. Really God. Um, so when this movie came out in uh, February of 1995, uh, the 
top of the box office was Legends of the Fall uh, in its seventh week. Uh, it had grossed $5.1 million by that point. Um, second in the box office was Boys on the Side. I have never seen that movie. Okay. Uh, okay. Also in its opening in, in its opening week. Uh, third was Jerky Boys. Uh, in a lot its of boys week. that weekend. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, man, a boys weekend for sure. This yeah. one's for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, so In the Mouth of Madness comes in fourth place uh, in its opening week, grossing $3.4 million in that first uh, It was an $8 million dollar movie. Yeah, it's it ends bad. up making $8.9 million back, so not quite really making its money back, but... Mm. I mean, it's New Line. They're going to be yeah. fine. And then also, you know, whatever video and home, like, you know, home on, on video, on demand sales and stuff after that. Um, the fifth in the box office that opening week was Dumb and Dumber uh, in its opening week. Man, uh, the 90s. Million. What yeah, a time man. to be alive. What a great fucking time. Sam Neill, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Brad Pitt. Well, wow. There's, there were simpler times <laughs> yeah. back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, they really it was a great were. Great time. Uh, Vyaki, have you seen anything, any cool movies or shows lately that you think people should either not watch or should definitely check out? Um. Yeah. Here, let me look at my notebook. All right. I real quick, while, while she's checking her notes, yeah. I wanted to say. So there's an infamous Hollywood legend. Guillermo del Toro has a script <laughs> for in oh, yeah. in the Mountains of Madness, yeah. the original short story that he's been pitching for 15 years. Let's get this fucking movie uh, made. Which they it's funny because he can fucking get Pinocchio. They asked him in, about it like, come uh, on while he was doing Cabinet of Curiosity stuff, yeah. and he said like, you know, I, I would actually need to rewrite it because I was really young when I did that, and I want to make it like they he wouldn't change his budget, and so it never got made. Um, they thought it was just way too out there. And he, so he, he, they asked, last I heard, I looked it up. He was like, yeah, I kind of want to rewrite this because I feel like I have, I can give it more. But for like 10 years there, he was trying to make an actual In the Mountains of Madness version of, wow. um, which is very, it was just pretty different from this yeah. movie, but it's based off, it's the short story that this movie is kind of inspired by. I'll watch anything with Guillermo. Right? Like, Please. Legit, Spoon feed like, me everything. Thro- like, throw me anything Toro, and I'm like, I'm there. I'm yes, there. please. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm excited for his Pinocchio. Did I think you it's going to be great. This is just on a random note. Did you know that his father was kidnapped while he was making the movie Kronos by the cartel fuck? members? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. Because I think James Cameron financed uh, Kronos. And so his father, like Guillermo del Toro's father, was kidnapped while they were filming in in Mexico and they ransomed his dad for a million dollars and James Cameron paid the ransom. So Guillermo del Toro's father, like James Cameron paid the Mexican cartel to give Guillermo del Toro his father back in one of his first movies. But like, I'm making this fucking badass. So much of this, so much of everything about this is like wild. James Cameron, Paid a million dollar ransom I mean, to, to b- save Guillermo yeah, del Toro's to father be fair, to from be a fair, Guillermo del Toro's life. Like I've listened yeah. to him on uh, fascinating. Guy. Yeah, I've listened to him on this podcast that like Elijah Wood had. Oh, is that the Spectre Vision one? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I love that and one. it was like a two part episode. Like yeah. that's how much time they needed with Guillermo del Toro. They didn't yeah. give him like 40 minutes. They were like. We're giving you two episodes, two hours. Yeah. And his life growing up, it's so fucking intense. Wow. Like, but yeah, just like I can see how like he grew up to be how he is and like the love of monsters Mm -hmm. like that he has because of everything that he went through as a child. Right. So, yeah. Big ups to Guillermo. I love that, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, peace. Yeah. Peace. Yeah, like peace. Kiss, kiss though, my lips to the sky. Even though you're alive, you're alive. Still. <laughs> he's a great Twitter. Poor he's a very active <laughs> Twitter user too. Uh, he tweets a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff. So he's he's one person I follow on Twitter that makes Twitter worth it. Yeah, him and I, Stephen King. I was so excited whenever the uh, the uh, promotional stuff for Cabinet of Curiosities came out, and he was narrating it. Oh, that yes. was just so beautiful. It's like Jordan Peele narrating New Twilight Zone. Yeah. You're like, oh man. Yeah. Just like, I just want to listen to you guys. Like weird. Yeah, it's horror ASMR. <laughs> yeah it's just yeah them too for sure yeah like give me anything like i'm down yeah what do you got um one of the films that i like watched while i was uh trying to watch as many movies as possible during october was for the first time i watched the exorcist 3 hey, hey we did an episode on that guy <laughs> holy fucking shit <laughs> highly recommend that film if y'all haven't seen it, I love obviously that you love Daniel it. and Travis like have, but man, so I've, I remember seeing, you know, like the infamous scene in that film is in the hospital and a lot of people will know longest, this. Yeah. Yeah. This scene that's awesome about <laughs> three to five minutes long and just, it's a perfect, like it's a perfect fucking scene where you're following around this nurse on like her nightly duties. There's a police officer that's kind of like off to the side and just watching, watching that movie, like fucking iconic. Yeah. It just made me, it made me fall. Like it made me fall in love, like with horror cinema, like all over again. It was like, I was being like reintroduced to the genre because, yeah. because of that movie like like the strongest recommendation you yeah. can give yeah, yeah. i was just like holy fuck like fucking bloody man this is so so good um yeah so i highly recommend watching the exorcist 3 watch um, that and go listen to our episode on it it's really good yeah you i'm can, like now i'm gonna also have can't to, forget like, about uh oh yeah Oh yeah. <laughs> There's when he like kicks down the door to do his the final exorcism. I was saying like they need to do that song like oh Lazzy's walk because it's like the it's badass just, walk. He is. He's so badass. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, that one. Um, I'm trying to like think. So last night, I I would recommend this movie for sure. Last night, uh, I I have this thing. I had mentioned it. I had mentioned it. Um. I've mentioned it to other people, obviously, but I have this thing where, like, at least once a week, I'll watch a horror movie with my nephew, and that's, like, one of my favorite things to do. So, last night, I was like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? And he's like, sure. And then I was like, all right, cool. We're watching Barbarian. Nice. And then he I'm was like... I'm watching it tomorrow night. Hell yeah. Oh Literally God. tomorrow night. Yeah. I'm dying Hell to yeah. watch this. Yeah, yeah, So, we're, we're watching it, and... I I asked my mom if she also wanted to watch it with us. And normally my mom is not about horror films. Ooh. And uh, she was like, okay, like I'll watch it. She watched the entire film with us. And at the end, and this is not spoiling it at all. Okay, okay. At the end, she was like, is that it? <laughs> and then that's when I realized. I've had people no, say that's a reaction but that's, have. but that's when I realized I'm like, man, my mom is not phased by horror films yeah. anymore. But it's so fucking good. Throws you for a fucking loop okay, because you good. you're just like, wait, what? What is going on? Oh, the hype is real. Yeah, like, oh, I can't yeah. wait. And that's and that's one of those and that's one of those films like uh for the year two like 2022, I've realized that 
there's not really any films that I've like been waiting for because yeah. they just come out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, yeah. like Barbarian. It seems like that. I don't even Pearl, fucking. Yeah, wow. like, yeah. I don't Pearl even literally fuck, was. Yeah. We didn't know it was happening. Yeah, until, yeah I was like, just like, ago, I didn't even seriously. fucking know that like most of these films like were being released. Like the Black Phone, I was like, oh wait, what? Like yeah. that just came just out can't of nowhere. Get them out fast enough, man. Yeah, That's, but, I fucking love it. Yeah, no, we I, have been eating good this year. I will say that. Yeah, yeah honestly, yeah. Oh, yeah. very much so. But yeah, I I would recommend those those two movies. Those are the two that I would recommend. You watching nice. any t- any good TV? Anything you got? Mm, as far as like TV, I've just been uh, watching um, weekly Abbott Elementary. Okay. Nice. Very Have cool. you guys watched I've heard that good, show? I haven't watched it, it's but I've really, seen some it's pop, really, pretty good recommendations about it. It's really good. It. Yeah, it's really good. It's just like a you know twenty minute plus comedy of these teachers that work in the Philly public school system, and they're all just kind of like let's go Phillies. Yeah, it's like they're all just kind of like trying to. <laughs> Are do you a Phillies fan? <laughs> no, I'm just not an Astros fan. Damn, that's true. They're, everybody, everybody I know is like, man, the Astros suck. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do know much about show. I don't know much about sports, but I would go for Philly because I like Philadelphia. Nice. So, yeah, not but, that they need the support, but they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's hope let's hope the Phillies okay. win the World Series. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's just it's it's a super it's a super fun show. It's just all of these teachers trying to do the best for their kids in this elementary school with what they have, and it really shows you also just how the lack of funds that the government provides for actual like school teachers and the lack of money that they provide for their like for their instructors and how they're not getting paid enough and even though it's a comedy i'm like damn that is a that is a it's against the backdrop of reality where you're like yeah yeah it's just like oh like y'all really don't get paid enough like yeah. to mold the minds of children as we I don't know grow. like Got shape it. the next generation of yeah. humans yeah, 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 yeah. potentially raise critical thinkers it's something yeah. that I am like the most like that makes me feel the most sad too is like just yeah. the idea of yeah like I mean dude my little sister's a teacher she just yeah. joined the teaching force oh wow oh, right good on. for her nice. I know. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm rooting for you. Yeah, so yeah. I do. I give her people gift cards. Do, people like every, doing the most important job every in the most holiday, thankless every environment. Every Christmas, every yeah. birthday, I'm like, where do you get your yeah. school supplies? How can I give you gift cards? Yeah, like, no, what, exactly. How do I f- pitch mm-hmm. in here? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, th- those those are the things that I really that I really nice. like. Awesome. So, Exorcist yeah. Three, Barbarian, and Abbott Elementary. And Abbott Elementary. Yeah. Yep. Nope. It's good mm-hmm. recommendations. Yep. What about you, Daniel? Uh, I am very proud of myself because I didn't watch a single. A horror movie that I haven't already seen. Oh, nice! Oh, Every okay. horror movie I watched in in October was mm-hmm. a brand new one. Fuck yeah! Oh hell yeah! Um, for be- for like various reasons. Yeah. Um. So like we I already mentioned Piggy in one of these episodes, mm-hmm. which we were texting about because yes. I think yeah, you yeah. and yeah, I, I both. I think you named dropped Yonka on that episode too. Yeah, we talk about you all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you very <laughs> it's much. It's to make you I, listen, so I, you yeah. don't, so you <laughs> know when we're on and when you're on when you're not. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so I have, so I have like a bunch of, I watched a whole bunch of stuff, some good, some bad, but I wanted to say, um, I watched, <laughs> I was la- so laughing at people who only watch like this movie that got recommended to me was called <laughs> The Master, oh. or just Master, uh, okay. which was oh, wait the PTA one or the yeah no 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 no, no not oh, the Paul no, Thomas no, 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 Anderson okay. one. Um, this one has Regina Hall as the lead okay. and she plays, um, there's two okay. women, two young black women who join like a historic, like one of those like New England coastal kind of uh, historic colleges, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like the 
Harvard or not Harvard, um, Dartmouth or whatever, like more really, really old institutions that are like historically white, probably have slave ownership in their history. Um, one joins as a student. She's a freshman on campus and they move her into the haunted dorm room where the mm. witch, uh, the like the witch who was burned oh, at the stake is kind Regina of like Hall. haunting her. Um, oh. And then Regina Hall, I think, is uh, I'm, I'm looking at this movie right now, but she moves in as like. One of oh, the, this is brand new. Yeah, she. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on huh. Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. I was gonna say because I haven't uh, heard about this at all. But it's all about these two women who are experiencing um, all the kinds of like horrible racism and microaggressions in modern day society from the administrative perspective, where Regina Hall is like a teacher, and from the student perspective. Uh, like, and it's like one of those things where the microaggressions, you're like, oh my, the horror is all the like shitty yeah. people, mm-hmm. um, which I'm starting to call Shirley Jackson horror after I've been reading a lot of her <laughs> stuff. Because all of her stuff is just like, how are we mean to each other without right. what by, by pretending we're nice? Yeah, and it is true. It's good. I don't think there is like a really creepy kind of haunting feel to it, but mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily uh, aligns with the like microaggression stuff. So it's not a perfect one to one, but I still recommend people watch it. It's actually not. It's not like objectively terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just kind of creepy and ha- and like thrilling. But you do you watch it and you like your heart breaks every single time. Like there's like a scene where she's like at a party and they play a rap song and she's sur- she's like having fun at first, but then she realizes she's surrounded by like drunk eighteen year old kids yeah. and they all like drop the n word and they're like staring at her and you're just like this is scary, this is horror. Jamario's seen it, he loved it. Um, I think, or he really, really liked it. And so my my Mary Kate told me to watch it. Like one of her friends was like, hmm. if you like Jordan Peele get out style horror you should watch this and i kind of cringed i was like all right but i will still watch this because i've been meaning to yeah ri- written and master. directed by mariama diallo yes this is, uh, her uh, yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. got a couple of credits to her that's uh, awesome master and then i watched all quiet the new all quiet on the western front last oh. night oh, which okay. was brutal really good really really good Just i go back like, and forth with horror with the horrors war of war yeah honestly this one kind of freaked me out more than some of the horror movies i watched because yeah. it's just it's really violent and like saving private ryan levels of violence and like mm-hmm. war is disgusting and like the moral like you kind of it's funny because it's told from the german perspective and mm. so they make the french look like assholes <laughs> which is funny to me i'm like i mean yeah but also they were kind of like they had some points to make yeah uh, this the french i mean not the german yeah we're that's why down I said, yeah, the, the, french. the french were to fighting the french. for the for liberation yeah but it's just one of those movies where like you know, there's a gang of kids, and you just you're like, all right, everyone's gonna go by the end of this thing. Oh, of course, our boy Daniel Brühl has to be in there. Yeah, <laughs> he does a great job. If it, there's if there's a there's war movies with German characters, he's gonna be, be in there. <laughs> it does a great. It has beautiful camera work. They'll do a long sweeping one takes, mm-hmm. and it's like the most expensive war film Germany's like film Germany's ever made. They're like real life uh, World War One like t- like tanks and flamethrowers wow. and all these crazy effects, and it's like it's gut wrenching. I we were like oh it's two and a half hours we'll only watch the first hour and then finish it tomorrow night and I knew within the first thirty minutes we were gonna finish that thing yeah. like, I was I'm like all right we're in all the way this is you only you just watch this beginning to end um, so all quiet on the western front was like 
It, if you can stomach that stuff, you should watch it. Uh, war movie buffs, like history I go back buffs. and forth with war movies. I like, uh, yeah, I like them sometimes, but it's I don't know. This one it ends in a way that I was like, okay, cool, because the the whole point of All Quiet on the Western Front, even the source material, is we need to stop lionizing war. They're yeah, like, war that's exactly, is not noble. I was the say, whole of all, point of war is it's awful. Of all the stories that you could use a source material, I feel like that right. is one that would like fit. Right, better, and like, it's a set in World War One. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of interesting angles about it. But I think, like I was saying, a lot of war movies have to have someone survive, and it's like the nobility in like this one specific mission. It's not the nobility of war; it's the nobility of man in war. And this movie's like, there is nothing noble about dying in war. They like, like they make the case that like if we could stop death like people dying we should like why on earth are we doing this and world war one was notorious for being like really rough like gas gas attacks we invented flamethrowers we invented tanks like it was the first modern industrial war ever fought and so Mm -hmm. it's like ground was being broken on new ways to torture and murder each other yeah yeah see so i feel like i've conveyed the the aspects of how you'll feel when you watch this but it's also like sweeping cinematic visions it 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 almost felt like um the uh, the cinematographer that inyaritu works with a bunch um but it it felt like his some of his work like revenant Mm, level like photography of nature and wildlife contrasted with this like horrific sweeping one takes almost that makes me think of who did the cinematography who was the dp for uh prey uh i wonder did we talk about that previously mm, we haven't done an episode on prey no no, but we we mentioned it as a wreck i mentioned it as a wreck on on that so i'm watching i watched those two and then i'm watching always shout out atlanta everybody should be watching it (laughs) just a reminder that's just a constant it's still going on (laughs) and it's pretty freaking great i think they have a horror episode teed up this week actually that was uh yeah they they had already had a couple right yeah they were yeah jeff cutter um on dp but i'm watching this anime called chainsaw man (gasps) jamaria if you're listening you're you're gonna be like i told you so that's his voice In my mind. Man I've heard other people recommend you watching it yeah. too. Chef's fucking kiss. I watched the first episode. But it's be- a really good pilot. It's so. I read an, I read a whole good. thing about like a lot of TV nowadays. Pilots are like half of an episode. They're like the pilot. The first episode of a lot of shows now are like half of a real what should really be an episode. Like they kind of give you the second episode is like okay now here's the rest of the shit. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen clips but of this. Chainsaw this looks Man fucking is awesome. wild. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me explain because you're not gonna believe this. It's anime. It's always gonna get weird. But basically, there's like this world. It's our world, but they're like evil devils that will come out and start murdering people. And so there's like a uh, devil killer, devil hunters. And it starts with this one kid who's indebted to like a local gang. And so he pays off his debt by murdering devils using a half dog, half chainsaw. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah, Pochita. <laughs> his name is Pochita. And I follow Pochita on Twitter. And all he does is retweet images of himself. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like little Pochita, like chainsaw plushies. It's like a dog. It's this like cartoonish orange dog, almost like the Lorax on all fours with a chainsaw blade jutting out of its head. But he uses this dog, revs it like a chainsaw and slaughters enemies until one day he gets betrayed by the gang and killed. And Pochita sacrifices his life and merges with this guy. And he becomes Chainsaw Man. And his... So when he activates... <laughs> yeah, Travis just saw a photo. Yeah. Just so holding him. Whenever he's like... 
confronted by an evil devil, he activates his chainsaw form, and his hands, like, split in half down the center, and chainsaw blades come out, and his head becomes, like, a Tyrannosaurus, like, chainsaw combo like unicorn combo but he can still talk and like use his hands and shit and he basically gets like rescued by a like a public safety administration they're like the government devil hunters and this is i have to finish this because he realizes he like wants to do this he's like i want to live this dangerous life and hunt all these devils and they're like why because he was he was living an impoverished lifestyle he's like i love i like i want to eat the good food i want to live the good life he goes i want to fondle a breast <laughs> and at the end of the day his entire but and the best part don't is, we all want to follow everyone in the show <laughs> everyone in the show is like what are you saying you want to murder you want to fight for your life so you can touch a titty is like and he keeps go this show is amazing because they'll go out of their way to defend it they're like think about it i mean he's lived an impoverished lifestyle like what more could this person want than like food and this like god tier subs gift Just keep watching because it becomes yeah, a thing no, it's so I, funny. I love it already yeah like the opening credits too um, they, are kind they of shot homage for shot so many of films. so many Big so Lebowski. many films. Pulp Fiction, yeah. like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. about Pulp Fiction, but definitely Reservoir Dogs, like Big Lebowski. Yeah, there's there's so so many just in the opening credits. Yeah. Like I saw someone that like posted like each shot from like a film yeah i saw that credit. one it's yeah. so fucking good is this on hulu yeah yes. it's on hulu. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i i will say too like i said he wants to fondle a breast and it is like kind of fan servicey like all anime can be a little cringier like uh, these yeah. are like cartoon animated boobs and stuff like i don't like this but I'm on the fourth episode now, and I'm starting to feel like it's actually for a purpose and not in. They're laying the groundwork yeah. for like, some greater. Or they're poking like, at what fan service really yeah, is. Yeah, there's like a like a self-aware like sort of. It, yeah, and it's feeling smart. I'm like, I feel like they're saying something here, and it's only four episodes deep, and I'm like, this is both hilarious action-packed because i mean he's like whipping chainsaws around fighting like giant demon bats and also they like takes these slow breaths and like has like like cigarette breaks kind of is like very like slow and methodical i'm like i don't know this ha- i haven't seen this style of anime since like my all-time favorite fully coolie so i'm starting to like i'm starting to invest mm. hell yeah and jamario i owe you everything in the world for telling me to watch this in the first place so we'll have an anime sidebar at some point and just do some bonus episodes it comes on out every shit. tuesday and my friends and i call it chainsaw tuesday <laughs> we're like it's chainsaw tuesday isn't it yeah. hell yeah uh so master all quiet on the restaurant Chainsaw Man and obviously yeah. Atlanta always always awesome. Um, the one thing I I was really excited to bring this recommendation. Uh, I don't have a show or a movie recommendation, but I have a book recommendation this week. Um, and I wonder, I was curious if you've read this. Have you ever read House of Leaves oh, by no, Mark Z. Danieluski? I'm unfamiliar. Okay, so this is a book that was uh, <laughs> that I I had an art teacher when I was in like seventh grade. Miss Winget, shout out, you're awesome. Uh, yeah, but let's she, go deep into Travis's she, past. She introduced me to a lot of like you know cool books and like music and stuff. And I'm like we I, I was in like Excel art or whatever. But um, I remember I saw her reading this book one day uh, at like in the art class, and I was just kind of curious. And I didn't like ask anything about it. I was like, well, she's reading it, probably is good. I couldn't find it at our library, so I just went to the bookstore and bought a copy of it and started going through it. And this book, in the conversation of like in the mouth of madness, right? Um, Mark 
Daniel Lewski, I think it's Daniel Lewski, um, he has some of the most, like, weird and fucked up sort of, like, meta, like, horror um, writing that plays with formatting uh, and ideas of, like, Ooh. stories within stories. Go on. Um the premise of this book is essentially there's a couple of different parallel stories that go on. Um, one of them is uh, the Navidson record, which is basically a, a like a videography record of a family that has moved into a house um, where they are kind of like out in the middle of nowhere and they're kind of like a young family trying to get their bearings and stuff. Um, but this house, uh, they start, they soon start to realize that has doors that lead into corridors that geograph like geometrically don't make sense. Like they open a door into a corridor in a wall of the house that should be going to like the front yard. But somehow there's like a 10 foot long corridor that then they can then walk out and then back into. And so yeah. part one of the initial stories is like this videographer going and then inviting friends over to go and like explore. And the more and more they explore these different like doors of the house, they realize that it goes deeper and deeper into some weird abyss in some weird parallel dimension around or inside of the house um, to the point that they have like, like an ex like a crew like a mountaineering crew loaded up with supplies for like weeks trans like go down a staircase for like weeks like like uh, for like a whole week this is some descending. like haste level like infinity shit yeah it's it's bizarre uh so that goes on and the idea is like there's this story within another story where it's this guy who's like a drug addict who's like um like in love with this like stripper or whatever uh and he is moving into an apartment where some other guy lived before him who went crazy researching these videotapes and this wow. whole thing of the Navidson oh, record damn. so it's the idea that like like this this old man reading the recollection of this other story was driven right. mad by what he was uncovering and then so it's then this drug addict reading the recollection of this guy going and reading the Navidson record and the book is awesome because it was one of the first books that I'd ever seen that like in my life that did it where I can't imagine how fucking expensive it was to print but like as the story gets crazier and crazier and you get weird elements of the story that bend like reality yeah. and shit, the formatting of the book will start to get fucking weird where you'll have like one word every page and then there'll be a couple of pages that are just black and then you'll have pages that have like one letter oh on them. Oh my god, that the, poor publisher. The bottom of the pages have, have all of these crazy footnotes that reference like they're supposed to be like, you know, a bibliography, like a bibliography like reference sheet or whatever that reference like some real but some fictitious, fictitious like works and stuff. Yeah, and that is just, Kind of like, yeah, it's so it's a cool rabbit hole to what? go down. Um, and I, I think in the conversation of In the Mouth of Madness, it's a really fun book to recommend. I was trying, I thought I saw my copy up there because I hadn't been able to find it today. Um, but my, I might have to go get a new one because I haven't read it in a while and it'd be really cool to check it out. So, uh, House of Leaves by, uh, yeah, Mark Danielewski. Uh, really, really fucking awesome book. Neat. Um, that's pretty neat. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so hey, this uh, podcast has a Instagram if you want to go check it out. It's uh, at Scary Sunday Scaries. Uh, we also have a Patreon if you want to go and uh, give us a little cash if you appreciate what we're doing. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you get like early access to shit and you get to hang out with us and then we'll make social posts and stuff on there soon. I literally downloaded Facebook again just to make a Facebook page for the podcast so we can start <sighs> interacting with people through there. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have Facebook. Yeah, the I things we no do desire. for the things we love. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a whole thing. So uh, our, our Patreon is patreon.com slash scary Sunday scaries. Uh, if you want to email me and recommend movies that we should watch or ask me questions or tell me stuff that I miss or other fun facts you can email me uh you know all of us at uh scary sunday scaries at gmail.com uh i'll read your emails and i'll try to respond to them and uh we'll have a we'll have a civilized dialogue about you know whatever um if you want to follow me personally i'm at trav the guy 
Uh, I'm at DG underscore Pappas, P-A-P-P-A-S. Yeah. What about you, Bianca? Do you want to promote some Texas theater stuff or anything else? Your personal Instagram? or uh... Yeah. Uh, y'all can follow me at the girl who works at the box office. Such I'm just uh, constantly putting up stuff that I yeah, promote didn't you get or that I make. more copies of and... your poetry? Yeah, I just got in more copies of my first and second poetry book. Big fan, you should buy them. Yeah, thank you. They're a thousand dollars each. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> but close though. No, they're tw- they're twenty five dollars because I work really hard on my poetry. So. You do great work. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, y'all can follow me there, and I just post about movies because I love movies so much. So yeah. Hell yeah. I think all my movie accounts I follow now are like three quarters your. Yeah, yeah I have. Probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I have constantly that one. like, I think I'm just following yeah. like everything she yeah, follows. Yeah, I have that one. And then I have one for Spanish films that I started since I curated a Spanish series at the Texas Theater. So I have one that's called Cinema Con Nosotros. Oh, so where I'll, so where that's I will just, I just saw that yeah, one. Yeah, that's where awesome. I will just be talking about. I need to get back into the swing of things because good old social media just yeah. consuming our lives, and we have to Such succumb to it at times. Double edged sword. I have to. Yeah, I have to get back into it. But yeah, that's where that's where I want to uh, keep talking just about like Spanish films that I that I want to recommend to people. Ooh, I love that. Okay. I want to get into that more too. That's yeah. that's a really cool rabbit hole. I go feel down. like. We could do a, a Spanish episode. Probably pull it off. Yeah, I I have a recommendation for a Spanish Ooh, film. Do it. No, I meant like a whole episode in the Spanish language. Yeah. Oh. Can we do that? Yeah, do you get us on that? Yeah, come on. Yeah, con nosotros. Oh, yeah. Nosotros todos sí podemos. Yeah, vamos a hablar de la película Tesis. Es una de España. Ooh. Yeah. It's it's so fucking. Good. Desde cuándo? De España. ¿De cuál director? Ah. Uh, no me acuerdo del nombre, pero es como de 95, 96. Mm-hmm. Es el mismo directo de uh, Abre los ojos, en English, op- um, Open your eyes, which is uh, what changed into Vanilla Sky, the English version. Um, cool. Yeah. We're going to yeah. unpack this a little bit more. I think it'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, at Texas Theater, what's going on this this month? Uh, this month we have some noir stuff, so very uh, very Frenchy vibes. We got like Ooh. you know some Godard up All in right. there. Yeah, uh, we we have some fun stuff. Y'all have that like, video store open now too, right? Yeah, or the, dude, well, the video crypt slaps, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, our last weekend is this weekend, so yeah, we had it open the whole month. <laughs> oh, of course it was. <laughs> I like. <laughs> hating myself for no, not no, coming no. by but this but this oh, weekend no. this weekend we're gonna announce it and uh we have we have it open for a few more days this weekend and then we're coming back next year we got renewed for a second season yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Let's yeah go. next 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 october we're coming back a uh, full swing i'll be so. back i'm cool. flying yeah. back god <laughs> yeah, damn it pretty much pretty uh much. awesome cool yeah. thanks for hanging out with us guys uh do you know what movie we're watching next week I do not. So next week. (laughs) (laughs) No. Which Um, one? We're going to kind of, I think this will be a cool, like, uh, succinct thing to do and, like, kind of bring our conversation back to Smile and other things. We're going to watch It Follows. Okay. Uh, Are you looking at the roster right now? Yeah. Is Perfect Blue on there? We can add it if you want to. 
I thought I added it. Damn oh it. Oh my god, I love perfect blue. Thanks. If so you did, good. you didn't put it in this season. Oh, so but we can but we I'm can get a it on dummy. There. Yeah. So oh, well. we're gonna watch it. We're gonna talk about it follows and uh, all the fun conversations that Does it do follow? That. Does will it, it follow? follow? Yeah. Did it follow? How yeah. much following does it? Yeah. Uh, Answering so, all your it follows questions. So watch it follows and then come listen to us talk about it next week. It's gonna be a fun conversation. Following it yeah. follows. <laughs> following <laughs> this episode. Oh god. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week. Bye. Sunday Scaries.